What's up, folks? Welcome back to the Peripheral Reviews podcast. We are back on the airwaves for a new episode. Thanks again for joining us. We have uh, been off for a bit. We've taken a little bit of a hiatus. Um, glad to be back. Glad to be doing a little bit of content tonight. Uh, I am your host, Jake. Errol is my co-host tonight. What's going on, Errol? How we doing? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Glad to be back. Likewise, likewise, we've got a lot to get into. Uh, big, big episode today. We are doing another film. Uh, we're going to dive back into the film series. This one's going to be our fourth. Um, we've got a few updates on the podcast we'll get to in just a moment. But today, we're. I just want to announce what we're going to be talking about. Today, we're talking about Martin Scorsese's theological journey, um, Silence, from 2016. A, uh, just a monster film with so much to talk about. Really a pump to, uh, to unpack this thing. Um, but first and foremost, let's get to a little bit of housekeeping. We got a few updates on the podcast, a um, few things important to uh, announce or update you listeners on. Number one, um, and first and foremost, we are on Twitter or X, whichever you're referring to it as, um, at Peripheral V123, as per usual. Um, also, still the status quo, uh, we are on soundcloud.com forward slash Peripheral Views 123. That's still where to find the streaming of each episode, um, if that suits you. We've also uh, just announced, or I'm, I'm announcing now, we've just launched a uh, YouTube channel so we are on youtube um i know a lot of folks probably do the podcast thing on youtube uh when they're just hanging out doing some house chores whatever your uh whatever suits you but we are on there now at, uh and if you're looking for our channel we have our own youtube channel now um it's basically just throw us in your search bar on youtube peripheral views podcast should come right up um and everything except our lupe fiasco episode two-part episode is on there um, so that will bring you all the way to our ninth episode on the uh, the it's a kind of a short episode on the special preview of Oppenheimer. That's in there, um, and everything before that is on there. We're working. I'm going to work on trying to get those uh, Lupe Fiasco episodes, the cool episodes, up on there uh, as soon as possible on our YouTube channel. Channel. Um, also, same spots. You know where we're at. If you've been listening to us along the way, if you're a new listener, we are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for all your streaming pleasures. If you happen to catch us on there, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star reviews would be much appreciated. Any traffic you give us on those platforms is super appreciated, and any feedback you can provide us with, we, uh, once again, very appreciate it. Um. We also, uh, I finalized to the, some degree, we finalized our web page. So we do have a website up. Um, all the episodes are on there. If you're um, looking to stream our episodes anywhere else, that, that's a good spot to catch us. We're going to have updates on there. Um, the website's up and launched. There's still some work to be done on it um, in terms of each page, but each episode is on the website. We have a uh, rating section on there where every time we do a rating on a film or a um, album, um, I'm going to update that along the way just to make sure that we're, you know, we'll have, a, it's not really like, it's more chronological than it is like in order of ranking. So, um, but the webpage is up peripheralviewspodcast.com. Uh, check us out on there and uh, please leave us any feedback. There's a mailing list um, available as we get going. That will probably start to be a regular thing for anybody joining who wants to uh, be updated on the podcast. Um, that's about it. Errol, you ready to dive in? What do you think? Oh, yeah. No, I can't. Um, that's that's all we've been doing, doing in the uh, 
like month off or so. So yeah, just building out, just building out, working on uh, getting things rolling. Um, we've got a new. Uh, I've got a little bit of a recording equipment up, so hopefully I sound a little better on the mic. Um, Errol has sounded pretty good so far, so not too much to upgrade there. Um, but today we're talking about a big film from 2016. So Errol, what do you say we dive into the year 2016 in film? We'll get this thing rolling right off the bat. What do you say? Oh yeah, I'm ready. Okay, 2016, big year for film. Actually, Errol, I noticed as we were um, kind of as I was poking through the list of films that were released that year, I actually noticed that like you and I saw a couple of these together. Interestingly, yeah. Um, uh, I, I've got you know for the for the big films of that year, um, I've got on a list, and you can you can contribute and throw a couple of my way as well. Um, the big ones were for me, uh, Arrival came out that year, which we saw that together, didn't we, Errol? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, I never saw Manchester by the Sea, but that was pretty well critically acclaimed. Didn't see it, unfortunately. Let's see what else came out. Hacksaw Ridge was excellent. Um, loved that movie. Hell or High Water came out that year. Big film. That was a good old, like, kind of throwback Western. Uh, Moonlight, which won Best Picture. That's an excellent film. Uh, La La Land was very critically acclaimed. Deadpool um the jungle book remake came out uh the coen's brothers with hail caesar and uh rogue star obviously star wars rogue, rogue one was like the uh film of the year in a lot of ways yeah uh, that was stuff. that was kind of my film of the year personally um being a uh being a star wars nerd it was um honestly i don't want to say like the high watermark for me but it's kind of everything i've like wanted in like the Star Wars universe, just like a gritty uh, telling of something or like a not retelling of something. Um, and so the best thing about Rogue One, like a spoiler warning, is apparently in the first run through, uh, everyone was supposed to survive. Like, you know, it's just going to be like a feel good, like, oh, we did it. We got the plans for the Death Star off. And then like... S- just some random person, like some random guy who like, uh, I'm just totally like butchering it, but like just some dude who did like a, like sound design or something. He was like, I have a better idea. He's like, oh. what if everyone dies? He adjusted, like, the, he adjusted the, he, on the spot. Yeah. And then they're like, all right, everyone reshoot. We got like, <laughs> this idea is to bring it back. Yep. Everyone's got to die. So oh, that's shocking. I didn't know that. You know what the thing right. about the, the star Wars like universes is that, so I've seen the, obviously the first three films um, I've seen many times. I saw like a new hope and return of the Jedi empire strikes back. Those three films I like grew up on, saw them a bunch when I was a kid, loved them. Um, still love them today. I haven't, I haven't really seen them in, in quite a while. And then there was obviously the secondary trilogy that was like critically kind of lauded or not lauded, but you know, um, panned, I guess is the right word. It wasn't, I, I don't really know. Cause I, I, I don't, I haven't seen them. I know that they weren't particularly received well by not only just the critical community, but like, you know, the, the fans weren't huge fans of it. I know that when they first came out, they were a big deal, but you know, people were pissed, people are pissed. Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. Jar Jar Binks I've heard is like the problem there, but, uh, or one of the big problems there, but I've never really, um, I'm not a huge, and, and the new, the new universe, the new, uh, trilogy, it's a trilogy, right? They've done a new trilogy. Is it completed? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I see. I, I have not, um, it's, it's a shame because like once we've talked about this before, but like, um, the big blockbuster, like 
Star Wars doesn't count as superhero, but it kind of falls somewhere in the vicinity of superhero genre. It's technically a spaghetti western. Yeah, well, yeah, well, in the plot construction, of course, right. The way Lucas like wrote it is very much in that vein. There's like a lot of that going on in the background. I've heard, mm-hmm. um, like the new ones, I I I've heard have really kind of stepped up the game, and I I'm like kind of anxious. I'm kind of waiting for my kids to get a little older and see if we can do like a re you know a run through of the whole series. Um, so I will give the um like a like the recent stuff like the the ray trilogy and stuff like that like uh i'll i'll give that um it an honest review i think that is very good to be geared towards children perfect i think perfect. there's not a lot of stuff in there they like the stakes aren't like crazy high like there's some things but like there's never like imminent peril like it's not like it's not like scary, but like the thing is, that's how the original Star Wars like were geared like in the eighties. Like it, you know, it it's got some like adult themes. It's got like you know people dying and stuff, but it's a fantasy thing for children. Um, and you I can't think, trust like, anything from like the eighties or or the seventies. I mean, bro, like like Jaws. Jaws is rated PG. Bro, right. The fucking shark right. eats eats he eats Robert Shaw in half. Like he he literally like I remember seeing Jaws like uh I usually watch that around the fourth of July every year. We didn't watch it this year, but I remember what the last time we did it, which probably would have been last summer. I remember watching that and I'm like like I know that this is PG and like this is whatever, you know, PG means a lot of different things now than it than it did back then. And like that's kind of just the only rating they had to work with between like Okay. Well, they meant like when they meant, are, but it's it's not for kids when it said either. parental guidance suggested. They're like you, you better have your parents here. They should. This, this PG is like underscored, like <laughs> underlined under the under both under the guidance part because like Robert Shaw literally like you see him like you you almost see like uh, his like body react to the puncturing of like in of vital organs. Like the the shark like sinks its teeth down, and then takes that extra chomp and like pops something in his innards, and then, like a bunch of blood comes pouring out of his mouth. I'm just like, how the hell? Plus, there's like boobs at the um, I mean, the uh, uh, loved it the, as a kid. Not bad. The director of that movie said if he knew the impact that that movie had on like uh sharks in general he would have never made it spielberg um, said that yes really interesting because what happened was after that movie came out people started hunting sharks oh yeah that could be a problem they're like, they're and also like, people oh. were well it's like you got double you got people hunting sharks and then like i guess i guess when that movie first came out like people there was like a um a receding of people from like uh holiday beaching like people right. just not fucking with the with the with the beach for a couple he years. said he said they wouldn't have done it because uh the thing is sharks don't hold grudges <laughs> so yeah. he was he was mad that like there was a like a statistical uptick in like uh like shark fishing yeah probably um I mean, the, the film had this. Jaws has just such a crazy. I mean, Jaws that, and Star Wars are like two of the. Speaking of, of Star Wars, just circling it back. I mean, right. two of the most like culturally impactful films. Um, by the way, Spielberg and Lucas, like, right? Those are the guys. It's them. Yeah, it's just those guys. Movie. Yeah. So um, that was. That's, uh, what that's was the thing, the, though? 
if you could pick, like, I guess if you just to circle it back to our content here, like if you could pick one film from that year to rewatch, like, okay, let's do the, the desert Island um, exercise. You only get one film from, from each year to watch for the rest of your life. Um, you got to pick one from 2016. What's your film? Dang. Cause off the top of my head, I just do want to pick rogue one. Um, but then there's a part of me that really does like Deadpool. Like it is like really funny. Deadpool's fun, man. Deadpool was a really good time. That was a fun film. And it was like very unique and R-rated. And I think it was the first R-rated superhero movie. In but that's also when, um, haven't even talked about it, when uh, Captain America Civil War came out. That's the one you and I saw. That is that is the one that you took me to. Because I had not seen any of Captain America films. And, that was and then you're like, oh, I'm not going to be able to watch it because like we're just going to jump in midway. And as like, oh, it doesn't I matter. It's anyway, the first one I, to it. No, it was so worth it. It was so much fun. It was great. I was like, because it was the first, I was like, no, it's just the standalone. It's his like introduction. Yeah, it was great. Kind it, of. Was well, like in, like, that, that was kind of a lie too, because he had something before, but I'm like, nah, you'll, I was like, it'll be fine. Well, to be, to be completely frank, if I had to flip the exercise on myself, I actually think the answer truly is silence. Um, which spoiler, you know, that's a bit of a spoiler. I, I actually really fucking liked Arrival. I uh, I remember you and I seeing that in the, in the theaters and thinking, this is great, but I don't know that I love it. I think, um, I so and then I saw it again, and I was like, this. Th- there's more to this film than I realized the first go around. So I did. I didn't want to be like that critical, but I was not in love with in love with it when I watched it initially. Arrival. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I was like, it's nice. It has like a meaning i guess that like you know uh we should probably like put everything aside and start like striving towards something greater uh oh also a uh, split came out that year split i didn't was uh, dope i never saw it when i didn't it came out, I, but... I didn't watch it at all but i've heard uh uh just uh raving reviews it was cool uh, because it was like oh shit i'm not Shyamalan's back like because he had obviously made some real clunkers um, for like about 10 years. He had not made anything worthwhile. Like the village was kind of the last one that was, and even that was like kind of split reviews. People, some people loved it. Some people hated it. Um, but after the village came out in 04, it was like, where's this guy going? This guy was like the right. filmmaker of a lifetime. He was like our new Spielberg for a couple of years there. And then the village came out and people were like, eh, okay, it's all right to have, you know, it's, you're not going to hit them all. And then after that, you get like uh, Lady in the Water was horrific. The last Airbender was terrible. Was, actually, the last Airbender, Dude, most I say like, it's terrible. Ill- I never saw it, but it, it it's it's considered one of the worst films ever made. No, it, it's considered so bad that the last Airbender like community, like the people who like Avatar, um, that's what I've heard. They hated it. They don't talk about it. Like yeah, it's they like don't the, me- the meme. The meme, right? The, the meme is like someone will be like, "Oh, like the late Shyamalan movie," and they'll be like, "Like the what?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, oh, what are you, the Avatar movie. What are you talking about? Like they're just like they're just, it doesn't exist. <laughs> they just completely <laughs> reject it, like Christianity in the Far East, right? But um, I think uh, like one thing I want to uh, leave off of uh, like the only thing I'd like to say about Split is uh, I always think like movies kind of like that are unfair because you got a uh, a uh, James uh, McAvoy or McAvoy. And oh, he's McAvoy, uh McAvoy. McAvoy. Yeah, he's got to he's got to act 17 different parts. He's good too. He's very good in it. Very good. Right. <laughs> you could act 17 and like, you know, get an award, don't get an award. It doesn't matter because you got other people like just playing like one part. Like for well, like, it's, 
it was cool because it's an offshoot of the Unbreakable. Oh shit! That's also when Jason Bourne came out. Oh yeah. Well, oh Jason Bourne, right? Not the Bourne Identity. It was like the first one out of the side. Yeah, that's true. Um, to be honest with you, you know what's of this list? Okay, so like Moonlight, obviously one best picture, great film, um, like groundbreaking, tells a very important story and like a little bit politically, char- like socially and politically charged. Not really po- political is the wrong word. It's like it's more of a social film. It's um, did you see Moonlight before I even talk about no. it? Um, yeah, I mean, it's basically just about like uh, re- it's like a homosexual repression in like uh, African-American communities or minority communities. Like that's kind of like the the theme of the of the film in a lot. I've seen, I've only seen it once, and I was like very moved by it. Like powerhouse performances, everybody's really really good in it. Um, if, and in my opinion, it's actually in hindsight, like I actually don't know that I think that the message of the film is way more important than how good the film is. And the film is very good, but I don't know that it's like it's more so just like the willingness to take on such a, like a heavy topic was mm-hmm. what was like, in my opinion, most impressive about it. Not so much that the film worked because like, uh, if I remember correctly, and I, I don't want to give a critical analysis of the film, having only seen it, you know, a handful of years ago, but like, um, I did remember having a few problems with like the way that the film was constructed and, um, just kind of, it bounces around from like three, I think three different, uh, time periods um which worked mostly but i think i had a few issues with it but either way like the the what the film was trying to accomplish was like really important and i thought it was i thought it was good that the film won best picture i thought that was like i was really pumped to see that like because i think that was the year in fact that like the academy awards like they i think they were like that was the fucking slip up where like the person who uh, i can't remember who it was it's kind of a famous moment in, in the Academy Awards history where like the person they read the wrong one, they read the wrong one. They were like, La La Land. And then they were like, oh, shit, no, it's Moonlight, guys. Go sit down. It's actually Moonlight. And then everybody was all already on the stage. <laughs> like, oh, shit, man, what the fuck what are we doing here? <laughs> Which is such a fuck up. I mean, it's such a bad fuck up, especially in, like, I mean, at one point, not at this point, but at one point, the Academy Awards were like one of the most viewed television events of the year. Um, luckily, not. Not at this point, but I bet you people were watching that. That was like the. That's got to be a good prize. consolation prize, though. Better than just not having your name read. Yeah, because how many people were just like, "Well, La La Land must have been good," and then watch it? Maybe I didn't see La La Land though, but no, I didn't either. All right, let's let's shift a little bit forward here. We don't want to get hung up too much into 2016. What do you? Let give me give me your take though. What do you think? 2016 was it a good year for film? A great year? For I film? think it was a great year for film. Great year. You're going that deep. Uh, I, I think it was great just because um, I am a sucker for uh, superhero stuff, and then there are some that. other, and then there are some other uh, really good stuff sprinkled in there. Yeah. Um, if I could make one recommendation to listeners, though, of all the films that I felt like, I don't think it was the best film, but I thought like, well, I'll say two of them that I, I don't think were the best films of the of that pick or of that, um you know, that group of, of films that were like, you know, in the top, whatever, the top 10. The two films that like I was just like, holy shit, these are really f- like solid B plus movies was uh, Hell or High Water was like this excellent modern Western. That was really fucking good. I mean, really good, like a solid B, B plus film. And then Hacksaw Ridge, which we're going to talk about Andrew Garfield, obviously for this, um, 
for silence, but Hacksaw Ridge was just unbelievably good. That was uh, directed by Mel Gibson. And um, I think it was one, of, I think it was the first film he has, he had done in since like Apocalypto or some shit. It had been a hot Ooh. minute since he had done anything. And it was, it was unbelievable. Like Garfield. The, the prote- yeah. The he's, same protagonist. Same guy, yeah. And that was the one, he plays like a medic in World War um, Two, I believe. And like, but he's like, a, once again, like a Catholic, I think he's like, he's very, he's a, um, he's a Catholic from like the woods in Virginia and he, hey. he won't pick up <laughs> he, a firearm. He's doing, he, he's doing the, uh, he's doing the acting for silence. You're like, Hey, do you want to play a Catholic? And he's like, yes. <laughs> he's just like, I can do it. hundred percent. I got I'm the B rated war. No question. <laughs> he's like, I got it from here. He's yeah. like, that's all I need. I'm a, I'm a Christian. It's really good. It's super violent. It's super violent for a film where like the protagonist refuses to like pick up a firearm and kill. Like it still manages to be super violent and it's very triumphant and it's just great. So, um, I, I, those are a couple of my like picks. Errol, you, you dropped your picks. Um, I, you say it's a great year for film. I say it was a, it was a good slash very good. Um, I think there were some misses in there that uh, there wasn't like the one film, you know, how every year has like the one film. There's like the one, the big one. That's just, like, oh, shit. okay. That's, that's a good, you know what I mean? Cause like, there there's really, a lot of that's, good, but not anything, any great. That's, I would say that it was great because there's a lot of good, but like, yeah, there wasn't any, I mean, I, you could argue Deadpool was like a, um, yeah, like I mean, a, a rebreathing a rebreathing into like the superhero uh, genre. But um, I think that silence is the most important, like religious movie by far that I, that I've ever seen. It could be, it could be, it, it might, it's, it's in the conversation. We'll, we'll get into that. And it is, I think that is, in my opinion, it is the best film of that year, um, which is amazing um, in a few ways that we'll get into, but like, in my opinion, for a year that had a lot of good films, like a good collection of very good to good films. Um, I just thought the year was missing that one that was like, man, this is an all time great um, rough year in in that, in that regard, just missing that one that over the top, this is, this is one of the greatest films of all time, because we'll, as we'll talk, I actually think silence could be considered that, but it wasn't at the time. And I think it's going to take some time for it to get there. So, but we'll get into those details. Um, I want to talk about films that I've been viewing and anything in Errol, anything Errol's seen in the, in the time that we've been out. Um, so let's shift into that really quick. Here's the list of films that I've seen as of um, since basically since we've been out, I, I've, got, I've only gotten to see a handful, but, and some of them are reviewings, but here, here's my list. I've got, um, my wife and I watched, we watched Blue Velvet, uh, David Lynch film from the 80s. Uh, have you seen Blue Velvet? Let me know if you've seen these, Errol, as we move through. No. No, no on Blue Velvet. Um, very strange film. Um, it, it was very strange. I I know it's important. I know it's like groundbreaking and it's, I did not think it was good. Um, that's just my, that's, that's an unpopular opinion probably in the world of film, but I did not think it was good. I thought it was... Um, it had its moments. It left a stain on my mind. I'll say that. Like it was, I was like, it was trapped up here in my mind for many days afterwards, but very strange, very bizarre. felt very dreamlike, which I think was the point. Um, but I don't think it really was. I didn't enjoy watching it um, at all. Uh, following up with that, we watched boyhood. Did you see that arrow? No, no on boyhood. Boyhood was fucking incredible. I mean, 
truly fantastic. And I had a couple of issues with the ending of the film, the last segment of the film, but boyhood um, Errol was a, um, a 2014 movie that like were the the main characters in the film basically like the film had it had been filmed by richard linklater across like 10 years the guy's life yeah so like everybody in the film ages accurately like they they've truly like you watch them age dude i'm telling you it's one of the most beautiful coming of age films i've ever seen it's one of my all-time favorite movies i would put it coming of age i mean literally cut like everyone is so good in right it's it speaks to these like weird nuances of American life that I've never seen a film be so honest about. And like, well, it's almost like you can't do that unless you film it over time. But he was so prophetic. Like, it's so strange. Like, he, I think he had to use a lot of excess. Like, he knew what things were going to like age out and then like zeroed in on them. Like, you know, iPod shuffles and like he starts off with like Game Boy Color and stuff like like maybe those are even like trite examples, but he just knew what things were going to, and obviously this is all part of the editing. I'm sure he has like a, a freaking mountain of, of film that he had to sift through across, you know, 15 years or how, I think it was like 12 or 13 years. Um, but man, this thing worked. It really, really, really worked. Ethan Hawke's in it. He's fantastic. The, the child actors, there's a little bit of, it's one of those films where, and we could do a critical analysis about it another time, but we don't have to do that. We don't have to spend too much time on it. But like, it's one of those films where like you kind of don't need the best of acting. The child actors do a pretty good job throughout the film, but there's definitely some weaknesses there in terms of acting, and you can't blame them. I mean, it's not a guarantee that they're all going to be great actors, but you just you don't even care. That's how good the film is. You just don't even care because it's so impressive what he's doing, like the construction of the film and the way that it's um, like there's a there's a bigger message. Yeah, it's just it. No, it's a it's a time capsule. It's like it's and by the way, like he just so happens that the protagonist of the film, the boy in the film happens to be our age. So it like really resonates. You would love it. You would really love it. It's it's a beautiful film. I mean, and I mean that in the most like beautifully artistic way, like it really is a beautifully like artistic intelligent time capsule of what it was like to to be to grow up in this era in the early 2000s um, um it, it's it's powerful shit i mean i would i would say it's probably if you force me to sit down and write my top 100 films it's 100 percent somewhere great yeah so give it if, listeners if you if you haven't i know it was a phenomenon when it came out but it really kind of cooled off over time give it a give it a give it a look see uh rewatch texas chainsaw massacre that's always like fucking terrible and dude awful. i've been playing the video game man how is the game i've heard the game's like it's popular. i mean it's i don't want to say it's like a ripoff of like dead by daylight but it's kind of of the same like ilk um i don't like playing the survivor man i just i don't i'll play like the I'll play Bubba. I'll play Chainsaw. Is it like true to the film or is it like a kind of? Yeah. It's almost like, dude, it's almost like, so you're, you're in the house. You either start off as one of the three people in the house, which is Bubba. And then like two other people, you can be like sissy or, uh, um, Johnny, a couple other people, the hitchhiker. And then you choose between like, I'm gonna be Franklin where I just sit in my fucking I just sit in my wheelchair and I just bitch at everybody the whole well, so Frank no Franklin's a character and he is uh, a character in it? Oh okay. yeah, but like uh what you have to do is 
you have to feed him blood, and then the, like the more blood you feed him, the stronger he gets. Oh, and he gets then like the he, chair. No, no, he just gives you perks. Like um, he'll be able to like, he has like a echolocation, like where he'll like yell, and then if the survivors are like moving around, like it'll show up on the map. You know what I I was I thought that when I saw that that was coming out as a video game I was like oh okay I see what's going on here they they the opening scene of Resident Evil Four must have like inspired this because like of how like intense the chainsaw scene if you played Four Resident Evil Four I've seen it yeah it's like basically you're in the village and like they're like once you get to the village all of a sudden this dude's chasing you with a chainsaw and it's a very Texas chainsaw. And like he kind of got to ambush him a little bit and like hunker down in like a, a little cabin and you got to fuck him up in the cabin. I mean, that's basically the, the moral of that. But like I, that was such a like a groundbreaking video game sequence that I, I always felt when I heard that this was, this was coming out, I was like, oh, they must be trying to recreate the magic of that. Um, sounds like not really. Sounds like they're trying to pay homage to the film. Yeah, no. So it's um, it's almost like the the map is like accurate to the uh, film itself. Like or at least like the couple maps they have, and um, cool. But it's a it's pretty niche. A lot of people who play those games like really like them. So if you play like early level, you'll have like a little bit of fun. Um, but like the second you get to like level twenty or so, like it starts getting pretty sweaty. Okay, well, folks, check that out. Uh, check out the film too, nineteen seventy four horror classic. It's going to be about that time of year where people are going to be wanting wanting to watch the horror films um and that's that one's that one's a tough it's a tough hang that one's that one's tough it's it's not that it's a bad film it's obviously not it's like very you know impactful in the world of cinema but it's um it's not a fun watch that much is true um dead poet society was my other one that was the next one i'll try to move through these a little a little quickly or um a little more quickly than before um have you seen that one daryl dead poet society no but i've heard of it yeah, it's 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 solid. It's just solid all the way through. It's really good. Robin Williams with a great performance in that. It's it's a, it's great uh, great stuff on that on that front. A lot of good performances. Also, Ethan Hunt or Ethan Hawke is in there. Um, Alien. Watch the original Alien. Hadn't seen that since I was a kid. That one's fucking Jesus, man. The, have you seen that? Have you seen the original Alien? Is that yeah. your docket? That one's fucking like intense. A little slow in parts for sure. A little long. Probably could have cut out a little. I don't know, a little segment here, a little segment there, maybe chop it down by 15 minutes or so. Um, but like, you know, who am I to judge Ridley Scott? I'm like a fucking absolute classic. It's just like I think they didn't cut it out because um tension because well, like that exactly and like the world that they had like going on, like yeah. you almost like don't want to leave from that. Well, you know how many films are actually like in that universe is like Prometheus is is of the same, is like an extension on this universe. Uh, they cross platformed with freaking uh, Predator. Um, like, there's been just, there's just the sequels are just endless. They just keep coming. Um, it, it is now that you mention it, it is a huge franchise. It's a massive franchise. It's, and and the and the original film is it is a classic, and it is fucking scary. They're like genuinely scary. Like, it's a truly scary horror film, sci fi horror film. Um, I couldn't help but notice I, I when I was watching it though, um, I could not help but like feel a little bit. Uh, I was like, God damn, there's a lot of the thing in here. There's a lot of the thing in here, and um, you know what? Was, um, at, the, at the end of the day, though, I was like, the thing is, was it truly an independent film? It wasn't the same. It wasn't the same film in, in any important way. I just saw a lot of influence. 
you know what I realized way too late about the thing, and I kind of like now that you just brought it up. What's that? Um, it's just like a representation of a manipulative person. <laughs> yeah, in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. I can, so I can just, buy into this. Keep going. The thing is a super like all right, like a metaphor for a super manipulative person. Like uh, all right, you got a uh, a person who act like there's something else, right? Like the whole time they have this facade. Everyone believes it. They're good. Everyone thinks they're good. The second they get figured out, absolute chaos. They just start start snapping. Like the whole once the facade's up, it's totally every all gloves are off. Yeah, you're so like yeah, the money. I'm like, it's not even a monster. It's just people we deal with. Like I was like, that's I'm like whoever wrote the thing. I was like, that's just that guy's mother. Or some shit, you know. Like, that's <laughs> right. just fucking. It's, it's like, just someone. The second they call him out, they're like, "No, you're not the person you say you are. You're acting different." They're like, "Son of a bitch." It's like this fucking movie is Freudian as fuck. I'm nobody right. knew. <laughs> yeah, no, I can see that. Like they're just talking about their relationships with toxic people in their life. Like they and they and the thing is, like they are the true monsters. Like it's people, the dark side, right? It's like the right. dark side of 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 human nature. Like right, like, and it's almost like it is alien. Like it yeah. is. A, a whole different entity but like yeah it's the thing I, that's a great double feature right there like not to not to bring it back to like my you know, you know what i mean it's like yeah. i'm not trying to pull you off of the like psychological uh theorizing you're doing but like it is a great double feature like because those both those movies kind of hit that note in different ways and but they they really are like like it's almost like you watch alien the tension builds tension builds tension builds and then you just turn alien off and instead of going into aliens, which a lot of people would do, I would shift right to the thing and you just get like the fast forward, like action packed version, a little more violent version of alien, just like shifted into the Antarctic instead of space. And- well, so the thing is just uh, the thing. The thing is just like the um, like the uh, psychological version of turmoil. Right? Alien. It's like, like yeah, it's exactly. if you if you take a alien and then you just add like psychological horror to it then you got the thing yeah it was almost like uh, because they're the, the settings were the difference because they, they were in space they had to like consider every little thing they did so there was a lot more deliberation about things and well, that, that in and all like fairness the... like alien truly is a better film but i i personally would so much rather watch the thing i have so much more fun with the thing Alien is very obviously better written. It's smarter in a lot of ways. Add more money into it. Yeah, and and right because it looks like two thousand one meets a horror film. Like you know what I mean? Because like you're in the spaceship. The spaceship looks authentic. Everybody is is very convincing. Like you have a fucking class act of 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 actors in the film. Like you've got this like wonderful ensemble with like everybody putting out. Like John Hurt is like an amazing. He's one of the greatest and. Um, it's, it's just a little different than the thing where it's like you get the thing and it's like this is fucking John Carpenter and Kurt Russell and Keith David and a bunch of other like kind of C B rated actors who are putting on good performances, but they're having way more fun and it's way more violent. And like, I don't know, for me, it's so it's 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 just always going to be the thing. And like I was looking at our ratings and I noticed that I gave the thing a nine out of ten. I think we both gave it a nine out of ten. And uh, actually, no, you gave it a you gave it an eight out of ten, and uh, I gave it a nine out of ten. I kind of want to go back and just give it full marks, um, just because of how much I love it. I, I that movie, I I truly love that movie. But we'll we'll 
we'll go we'll circle back to making re-ratings down the road maybe when we revisit so i was actually thinking of re-ratings because i've been going kind of high for stuff and i think it's disingenuous you're gonna take you're gonna taper back a little bit i might have so generous because almost everything's been like a 10 but that so also caveat i kind of that's kind of how i feel like all the stuff we've been talking about has been stuff that i truly do like thoroughly enjoy that's why it's been at like the you know, head of the chopping block. That's that's actually uh, true. I just think we have to. I don't think we have to change our ratings. I think we just have to start talking about stuff that's not so fucking good. But like at first, this right. is what we want to talk about is the stuff that. That's why Death of Stalin was fun to jump in there because it's not like a perfect film, but it, it's a lot of fun to talk about, and it's also like, you know, it's 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 a it's a B movie. It's a B movie, and we're gonna talk about some like I want to like let's talk about the room or some shit like <laughs> something like really bad, but like and right. we'll talk about. Um, but uh, let me finish up with with what I watched, and then we'll we'll shift into the film um, before we deliberate too long on this stuff. Uh, I rewatched Deliverance, which is always a, that's a talk about tough hangs. Holy shit! Good lord. Um, have you seen Deliverance? Has that one been on your? Uh, that's something you've gotten a chance to. The unfortunate. I say unfortunate. It's a great film, but it's very tough to to watch. Have you seen it? I don't think so. No, that one's that one's tough. There's some there's some tough scenes in that one. Um, I'll let the listeners do their research on that one, but great film, very tough to watch. Um, when Harry Met Sally, <laughs> it's so strange to go from Deliverance to When Harry Met Sally, but I did that. That was a shift. That was uh, and that was so much fun. Great film, great rom com, probably one of the best rom coms ever made, easily, and uh, some like iconic romance, romantic slash comedy scenes in that. Billy Crystal killing it with Meg Ryan. Um, great film and uh, we uh, those are the ones I watched just in the month that we've been out those are they're all classics they're all a little bit older nothing too modern you know other than boyhood but uh, great films through and through uh, Errol what have you seen in the uh, past month have you gotten to uh, gotten any spare time to watch any movies did I lose you Oh yeah, no, sorry. It was a. I was muted. I'm totally sorry about that. Oh, you're um, good. You're good. I just wanted to see if you'd watch. Have you seen anything in the last month? Any films other than Silence? No, not a lot of movies. Uh, the high watermark of uh, me watching anything was probably uh, honestly a uh, UFC 293. Ooh, shit, bro. Yeah, we could we could chat about that for just a minute or two. Um, yeah, our boy Israel Adesanya had uh, took uh, he took a decision loss to Sean Strickland, one of the man that sets ever. He, he didn't show up at all. No, no, he didn't. It was a tough performance for him, honestly. And I, I, I hate to be the guy to say this, but I, I just don't think he showed up. And I think that on his best night, he probably still beats Strickland. I know Strickland had a great game. Play. I did, see. That's the thing. I think, I think that that's the case. And I think Israel Adesanya thinks that that's the case too. Yeah. Um, I think they just didn't have an answer for it. And I, I've heard co- interviews with uh, Coach Eric Nixick, who is the coach for Strickland, and he like. He basically said, like, um, you know, is he said that he called out everything? Yeah, he said, yeah, yeah. Just, the coaching was just that good, like, and Strickland, yeah, he said Strickland was responded. He said, like, uh, he said you saved his life, and then he's yeah. like, "What do you mean?" Setting up and that left like, high kick. That left he's hand. like, every time I went to set something up, you were you said something about it. Yeah, there was like a there was like a one two parrying that was there was like this feint that uh, Izzy was trying to set up the left head kick the left head left high head kick, and uh, he every time that he was set up the two feints for it, 
Nixick would call it out and Strickland wouldn't respond to the feints. And so like just couldn't get because what, what it basically so, is those feints were there to get Strickland to drop his hands so that Izzy could come up top with the head kick for a knockout and Strickland just never bid on it. And dude, and that's that's doing. why you see the whole fight, he's literally just throwing a one-two. Yeah, he's not doing anything outside of just pressure. punches and then back. In the nonstop pressure up, and like yeah, just walking him down. Cage. Yeah, yeah. It's it was an amazing performance from Strickland, and like you got to give it to him because it's not like this. It didn't happen over like a couple. He just won a couple rounds. Like he won basically four rounds, maybe all five. I mean, I don't. There's arguments out there that Izzy took the second. I I guess you could give it to him. I don't I don't know who's given him any other round. You could you'd have right. to really stretch to give him any other round. But I personally thought it was a shutout. I didn't. I thought Izzy might have edged out the second, but it, that's at best. And it was a tough. It was a tough night for for you know the champ, and uh, he's not the champ anymore. So that's what's tough when you constantly are fighting in title fights. Is that uh, you know eventually you're gonna lose and down you go. Well, that's there's always someone who's gonna be hungrier at the moment. Yeah, it's tough to stay on top. In this sport, in that sport, it's very difficult to stay on top for too long. Almost, almost impossible unless you're like truly great. That's why. And so I don't. So that in the beginning they're like, Israel Adesanya, he's like Anderson Silva, and I was like, really? And then after the fight, I'm like, y'all really said that? That's a mistake. It's it's tough to say that because, <laughs> well, but it, but it, here's the difference though: is that like. And nobody ever factors this in when having this conversation, but like Anderson Silva's reign was like insane. It was like seven years and he was like, he was beating the shit out of everybody. And then he ran into Chris Weidman and we all know what happened. And like you got two Chris Weidman fights where he got caught fucking around in one. And then the second one was the leg injury. So it's like, and then, his, and then he's gotten, then he got old, he got old overnight and he, he got beat by DC and he beat, you know, I, his, his whole like career went in another direction. Well, here's the difference though. This is why when people say Israel is better than Silva, I'm like, okay, slow your roll. You're probably right. I always think in my in my head, I think when I hear that, I'm like, you're right, and you better be right about that. But that doesn't mean that he's had the better career. What Anderson Silva did was like more impressive to be champion for seven years. That's like impossible to do and to not lose for as long as he did. But I will say that like MMA has progressed a lot. Like it's progressed a lot. Like you got to imagine that the guys that Israel are is fighting right now, when he's trying to defend a belt for seven years, he, I mean, he held the middleweight belt for three years at least, and then lost to Pereira, and then avenged it, and whatever. But like you got to imagine that the fighters that Adesanya has faced are definitely like better fighters than Ades- than uh, Silva faced. Um, yeah, no, you're just based you're on the progression right. of the sport, like the skill development of the sport is it's just a different sport. They're different fighters. All, all of the whole the whole standard, the the baseline standard of the skill level of the sport has, has shifted upwards. So, like, in my opinion, it's like all of these fighters are better than they're like than the past. And like, Brian, that's why the the art, the, all these arguments about, you know, LeBron versus Michael Jordan, it's like. It's just different. Like everybody's working with a new set of they've got new goalposts and they've got new, you know, technology and new ways to be better. And they should be uh, iron. Iron sharpens iron. Bingo. You got it. That's it. Exactly there's no there's no way like as good as like the people back in the day were like if you put them up against the talent now, like they're just too good. 
Like well, the, it's like that. It's like the state. The statement like iron sharpens iron, and like we are standing on the shoulders of giants. Like this is that's that's true. That's true. But like who who's the giant now? Like right now, there's giants, but we don't recognize them as giants because not enough time has elapsed, and the the way that they progress the sport hasn't been able. It hasn't been. It's being actualized in front of us, but it's not being acknowledged because you can't see it until you see where the sport goes therefore after or thereafter. Right. So like it's just about time. And like I guarantee you in 10 years, people will look back and they'll be like, Yeah, Israel Adesanya. It's not always about numbers, man. It's about it's about the game and like how how good the opposition is. Because I'm telling you right now, the shit that Anderson Silva did being a champion for seven years, that shit ain't happening. It's just like Lou, like Lou Gehrig played in, you know, I, he's, or no, Joe DiMaggio hit in 56 straight games, which is like, nobody's even come close to that. I think the highest number is like 41 or something. Nobody will you do just that. can't now because people are too good. It's too different. Yeah. The things, the things evolve, like the evolution of sports is like a very real thing. And we have, it's things evolve very quickly. And sometimes it's, it's, I don't know that argument against Izzy on that. They, people just always are trying to shit on that dude. And, uh, I, uh, He's one. Of, he's probably my favorite fighter, even even still. But like, I don't, I don't think it's time to be like, oh well. So see, see, Anderson Silva was better. Well, they did fight, you know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he fought a forty-year-old version. Oh right. I'm dude. not stupid. I know that. <laughs> it's very difficult. <laughs> oh, if you think you're better, then prove it. Forty-eight years old. <laughs> like, beat his ass. Oh, oh, show up and. You're the style bender. Well, bend. You're the style. Listen, he was only in his early 40s. He wasn't like 45 like he is now. It's not like he was like, he wasn't ancient, but he's clearly not his prime. I will admit that, but whatever. Anyways, that's our UFC chat for the day. We'll we'll, we'll circle back to UFC and uh, there's some big cards coming up. So we'll talk about that stuff at some point down the road. But um, I think we've done enough, uh, enough uh, chit chatting about this, that, and the other. This is where we're at with the podcast. The podcast updates are out. Um, the, uh, discussion about film in 2016 has been covered. Um, the films that I've been, uh, viewing and what Errol's been peeping at has been covered. Let's shift in. Errol, you ready to rock and roll? Let's talk about 2016 Martin Scorsese's theological epic. Let's talk about science. We'll be right back.
All right, welcome back, folks. We are ready to roll. We're talking Martin Scorsese's theological epic, an absolute um, masterpiece in many ways in a, in a giant film. Um, it's called Silence, um, a big film. Errol, um, we saw this in the theater together, and I have to, I have to be forthright with the uh, with the viewership. I have to. We it. saw it in the theaters. I'm gonna say you saw it in the theaters because, uh, yeah, I have to fully admit, I made it uh, to the theater with Errol to see this film. Um, very excited to see the film too when it first came out. I was so pumped to see it, and I very unfortunately have a terrible habit of falling asleep in the theater and that is exactly what happened on this film did not make it out of the first 40 minutes um and it had nothing to do it wasn't a statement on the film that just uh I, I just get dumb tired man it's too comfortable in there i don't know what it is he said it was a giant snooze fest and then he just <laughs> he said wake me up when i see liam neeson <laughs> That's what I said. The old fucking elbow nudge. I said, "This one's starting to lose me." (laughs) Make sure I don't snore too loud. (laughs) Let me know when something violent happens. This is Scorsese. Let me know when radio shows up. Let me know when they really start. When they really start hurting him. Let me know when Ray Liotta's here with this fucking with a bag of coke. (laughs) Then I'll be back on. Tell me, Bobby. Where's Bobby De Niro? Where's Bobby De Niro and Joe Pesci? Let me know when somebody's getting pissed in the parking lot. He goes, "What?" He goes, "What makes you think I'm a Christian?" Wait, what? Is that a real? He's like, like the the Joe Pesci. He's like, "Oh, I'm a a Christian." Like, what? What makes you think I'm a Christian? Yeah, says the same guy. Like, I'm pretty sure he like fucking screams at somebody. You Jew, motherfucker, you. He fucking screams at people in every film. That's like a Joe Pesci line. Christian how? Like a Christian I'm how? Here to, or? to amuse you? I mean, <laughs> think you. I'm just here to praise you? <laughs> I'm here to fucking praise you right now. I'm here to praise you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, oh, he should have got him for <laughs> Bro, if Joe Pesci step on a step on a, such a different film. step on a Fugami. I'll step on a Fugami. On the fucking Fugami. <laughs> think I'm scared to step on it? I'll step on dig a hole. I step on. Look <laughs> at the fucking lime leaf. <laughs> oh no, that's oh, beautiful. Oh shit, yeah. I mean, that had to happen. Like this movie's just asking for it, being that it's a Scorsese film. I. I <laughs> It's not to be smirching because this is a very personal film for Martin Scorsese, but um, just the contrast of like where his other films go versus like what this film's trying to do is just is 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 um it's it, there's a big gap. Big gap. Go get your fucking rosary beads. Go get your fucking beads. You fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Home and get your fucking prayer box. <laughs> okay, go get your fucking Olmos. Go get your fucking Olmos box. Motherfucker, you! <laughs> he just takes a fucking stone, starts beating his the head. The Daimo <laughs> just pulls out a samurai. He's <laughs> fucking straight beheading. Oh no! Somebody should make like the Japanese fucking samurai version of Goodfellas. Somebody's got to do that. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's got to be done, man. Somebody's got to do that. It's got to be done. my shoe or shine the boxer? <laughs> I know that box. Shine the boxer. <laughs> he just fucking kills him. Hold <laughs> it out. Yeah, you insulted him a little bit there. You insulted him a little bit. No. <laughs> no. Insulted. No. <laughs> I brought no dishonor on his. Phone. I always think that's funny in Goodfellas when De Niro does that. He's like trying to calm him down. He's like, "Yeah, I'm insulting him a little bit, a little bit there." Little bit. <laughs> he was <laughs> trying like, to justify the murder. <laughs> well, he's just he's just that guy. Like he's, just, right. he's trying to cool things down, but he's not going to be fucked with. He's not going to be like, no, yeah. He's going to still back his guy. You know, it's honestly it's, it's the person it's the person that like you almost want in your bad corner, but like yeah. you don't. Oh, of course you do. I mean, he's scared. Like you, you want him in your corner. You yeah, want Jimmy him in your like corner Jimmy because Conley. you don't. The only reason you want him in your corner is because you don't want him in theirs. Yeah. Right. But right. it's not like, it's not someone you want to like calm down be like, it's, that's the dude when you're at the club and it's like, yeah, we got to, it's uh, like Jeremy, like, dude, we got to go. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, fuck that. No, fuck that guy. Yeah. You don't I'm going to play and then, yeah, you're, you got your hot and then, like, you need somebody who's going to pop the fucking quarter in the jukebox and get the Rolling Stones on because he's about to fucking stomp somebody. Right. And that's I'm about it. to get, I'm about to get shot over this. Well, anyway, we can talk about Goodfellas another time. Let's talk about it. Let's do it. Let's. Uh, we're talking about 2016's um, "Silence" by by uh, Martin Scorsese. Uh, it's an epic historical drama film. It's a. It's got theology. It's got Christianity. The oppression of Christianity in the Far East. Um, it's got. Um, there. Uh, there's Buddhism in in this, and some of the doctrines of Buddhism. Um, and it's. And it, it's in a lot of ways. I think. It's an important film. Let me introduce the film a little bit before I get into any opinionated stuff. Um, it's based on the uh, it's based on a novel by Sh- uh, Shusaku Endo, um, a Japanese author, uh, and the title of the novel is about the same name, Silence. Um, the screenplay was done by Jay Cox and Martin Scorsese across basically like thirty years. They started. They've been working on this, or they had been working on this. Man. Um, yeah, Scorsese read the novel. Interesting backstory on like Scorsese writing the novel. I guess. Um, what had happened was that he had read the book. Uh, he'd been gifted the book by a Japanese filmmaker. The name escapes me of whom it was. And then he read it and kind of just read it and it just di- didn't click with him, didn't land with him. And he was, and he moved on from it. And then it was gifted to him. Um, and then he brought it with him on this, on this trip. Right. He, I think he, he said in interviews that, so he took the book with him to um, Japan because Akira Kurosawa, um, the, I mean, one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Um, and, you know, I've only seen it. I've only actually seen one of his films, So, uh, but this is all, I mean, his impact is goes beyond whatever you've seen of his films. Like he's, he's, he's changed cinema across 60 years and uh, just a great filmmaker and one of the best to ever do it. Um, and Scorsese was uh, in agreement with him to star in a film that he was doing back in the late 80s, early 90s. Scorsese brings uh, this copy of Silence with him. He reads the book on a bullet train um, in Japan. And while he's in Japan, the film or the book starts to like, it starts to really sink in with him. Like, and I think he, he started to connect to the film in a way that he hadn't previously um, or I'm sorry, the novel and the novel, the, the content that was in the novel is of uh, there's a lot of, Christ- there's so much pro Christianity stuff in it and it really resonates with him. He goes and buys the rights. <clears throat> and then this thing just becomes a, um, 
it just becomes this passion project that like, I think he was scared to, I think he was very hesitant and scared to, to, to broach it because he just wanted to make sure he could do it right. Cause he just, it just wasn't coming to him. You know, it, the vision for the film just was not coming and he, he didn't want to just rush it. So that, I mean, this went on for 28 years, basically. You basically 28 years was working on this film, working on this film, working and not the film itself, but so much more so the writing that he was doing with Jay Cox. And um, as, as the story of the, of the novel goes, it basically is the story of two Jesuit uh, priests who are um, who volunteer for a missionary project um, from to go from Portugal where they, they had been um, previously practicing their Christianity as fathers um, in Portugal. They want to go try to retrieve their mentor, um, Father Ferreira, out of Japan. And the story goes that Japan, that uh, the Japanese had basically um, on on Father Ferreira's trip to Japan, that he had been captured and had renounced his faith and apostatized and basically been um, held hostage in Japan. They want to go find out if this is true. This is the word that has gone back to the church in Eastern Europe or Western Europe. Well, so, that's the uh, the rumor, right? But- so it's rumored that that's what's happened. So they and they. And they they volu- and because it's their mentor, they don't believe it. They don't believe that that, that could have possibly been Father Ferreira that would have apostatized and renounced faith. They're acting on a good faith. Right. In, in a very literal sense. Right. Mm-hmm. So they choose to, um, they they go to um, Alessandro Valignano. By the way, this this book is, or this book is very like, it actually references, it's like very nonfiction slash fiction. Um, it's a novel. But there are figures that really truly exist um, in the film. It's it's like fictionalized. Like Alessandro Valignano was an actual Italian Jesuit priest, and he's in the film. And um, these pupils, these two pupils, they are um, Adam. I, we'll we'll actually dive into the, the the casting here. Andrew Garfield plays Father uh, Rodriguez, um, Sebastião Rodriguez. Um, that is your main. That's your main priest he's the kind of the uh, protagonist between the two and his fellow pupil is played by adam driver francisco garope so these are the two jesuit priests and they're gonna as a missionaries not only are they going to seek the truth of what happened to father ferrera in japan but they're also going to spread the word of god like the word of jesus christ so their their anticipations are to go to the far east and start spreading the, the gospel and um, they know that Christianity exists in Japan, and they're really interested in getting there to find out the truth of what happened to Father Ferrero, but more importantly, to save the souls of Christians in Japan and to hopefully spread the word of God, like almost in a in a in a naturally organic way. They want to they want to just plant the seed of Christianity and watch it grow. And which will um to the yeah to, to them that. it's a. Uh, to them, it's a, 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 a double-ended mission. So, like, they need to go and find out if uh, Father Ferrer has apostatized because they don't believe he has. So if he hasn't, then they're going to, to save him, mm-hmm. in theory, because he's in trouble, of course. They think that he's and, by the jackpot. Right, and their people are relying on him. And the other end is, they're like, what if it is real? What if he has apostatized? They need same to, case. They need to save him. Need to save him, right? They need either to, way, they need to go because he is his. Either he is in danger or his soul is in danger, 
and it is our job to save him. Like so, and they're like, if if we have to, our mentor, we should mention that. Like, um, and by the way, Father Ferrer, played by Liam Neeson, um, he's um he he is their mentor, and he means he has guided them on a on the spiritual path up until this point until he decided to pilgrim pilgrimage not pilgrimage that's the wrong word um to, to missionary to japan to spread the word of god in the far east so um that's why the that's why he means so much to them and this is also why they have hesitations about the truth re- regarding his uh his renunciation of faith so while i don't believe that like the spreading of religion should be like a death sentence in that would them go like the main problem to the Japanese is them going to a foreign land and spreading something where like that they don't want happening. Like, so I don't want to say it's predatory, but I can't think of a better word at the moment with for having other, for their, for the Jesuits. Yes. Well, for the Jesuits to go in and, you know, because like that's a, they they do have a pure intention and that's to spread the word of God because they believe that you cannot be saved without it and it is the yeah but I, so, so can I disagree with you just just partially and it's not so much a disagreement because I actually think you there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of the film that actually tried to tackle that a little bit it tries to take that on to some degree um, and this is we're just going to get right into the meat meat and potatoes of the topic which is um, which is you know our missionaries. In a, in a land that has outlawed Christianity, uh, do they have, um, is it within their, their rights to act violently upon, you know, um, and it, it is violence. Like, and it, it, it's an interesting depiction of um, violence, which I think it's, is complicated. It's in the, in the movie, if you ask me, it's, so they, they call uh, Unzen or the, uh, those uh, hot springs they call them hells and that's right yeah right and it's i mean it's just a hot place it's gray like it's lacking of any like color or life i if you ask me it's almost like uh japan is like depicted as like purgatory like it's a yeah, place it's, like that'd be cool that's i'd be i'd be um i could buy into that like it's like a land in between like religion and like life, like where you still have people doing it, but it's where the hardest test is being given to like Christians. Right. And also like, like that's, that's the, that's the complication. So like, that's where I, I get, I, I'm compli- um I, I feel a complication with like where you say um, like the predatory aspect of trying to spread the word of Jesus and Christianity in a country that largely is, in, in a lot of ways is not uh, accepting of it. When they talk about that, when they refer to it as like the swamp, it, it, like like uh, Father Ferreira tells him like, it will not grow here because it is, this is a swamp. Like it's just not accepted here. It's just not. And I feel that that is like, so that is like a, that's what makes the dialogue and the writing so important. And I think this is why Martin Scorsese like took so much time to like get this right is that you want the arguments of the Buddhist Japanese who are who are acting out against the Christian um, against the Christian practitioners, the the priests, the priests, the Jesuits who come and they try to spread the word of God. You want their arguments against them to be like very convincing, and I think they are, and there's merit to them. However, I do I do have an issue though because in my opinion, it's it's that 
So the missionaries are looking to spread the word of God to everyone in Japan, to all Japanese, which in, in that's where I think there's merit in what you say in that it's you know, predatory is probably a little bit strong, but because yeah, their faith is pure and yeah, it's, it's for lack of a better term. And we'll use that term momentarily, but like, what I also think is happening to it as a byproduct is that you do have Japanese Christians that are already there and they're living in hiding because those Japanese Christians are not trying to spread the word of God. They're just trying to live within Christianity, but they happen to be in a land that outlaws it. So that's right. where it becomes, that's where there's like a morality. So like they actually, and they, they also can't, confess their sins so like the a, doc, a doctrine of christianity obviously is to like you wash yourself of your sins by confessing to a priest they are priests aren't christian priests aren't allowed within the boundaries of of, of japan so they you have all these so christians. they can't even um well that's what the uh the people of goto say like they they walk up and they knock on the door and uh garupe is like don't answer it they didn't do the one thing and then rodriguez is like i'm going out there right. and he goes uh i i think it's like probably one of the like in a very sad movie with not a lot of like uh like high watermarks um these guys walked from like from one part of the island to a whole other like part of the island uh their feet are bleeding and he goes like we don't even have like a a jisama so like all's we can he he says verbatim all's we can do is pray <laughs> right that's so, like, they can't do baptisms. They can't, like, confess for their sins. Like, all they can do is, quote-unquote, like, pray, hope for the best. Right. And so, and, like, I think that's why, like, um, that's why uh, Father Rodriguez, played by Andrew Garfield, um, versus Father Garope, um, played by Adam Driver, there's, like, this, there's a stake between them in their standard for uh, for their faiths. Like, um Garu, father garupe is a little bit more strict and like i think he's like playing things by the book like he knows what the procedures are for confession he knows what the like but rodriguez is on a spiritual mission here and right. like very clearly he's willing to bend like he's conflicted and, and it's interesting because it's almost like uh father garupe's faith is more um his faith in god is more is actually stronger so and that's the crazy thing too because like the whole time garupe even himself is saying that like uh at one point when they get separated uh uh rodriguez says something to him and then garupe says i wish i had your strength mm. like before they go off in different like places like even garupe himself like admits that like you are the one of stronger faith um uh rodriguez Wait, uh, says that to rodriguez yes he says to rodriguez that i, but I think I it's the I... opposite i think that well, well no, no. It, it, so technically technically that is the case because uh garupe um doesn't fold from yeah he doesn't fold from the book at all like when uh uh oh, what's his name he's my favorite character uh do 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 bear with me for a second uh Oh, I know who you're, I know who you're gonna pick just because I know you, <laughs> the interpreter. <laughs> no, no, no. So that is uh, honestly like kind of yes, the interpreter. You got me in a box, but no, uh, the the guy that um, not Kinchichiro, but the other dude, not the Gisama. I think it's like a. It begins with an M. Uh, Mokichi. 
Mokichi, the dude who's he's like, um, he's the one that's killing the cross. Yes, the the dude who lasts longest on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, um, yeah. amazing character, amazing character. Yes. So, um, Mokichi is one of my favorite characters, uh, because um, so he he says he says something uh, he says something to Rodriguez as well. He's like uh, uh Rodriguez is like your strength. Or your your faith gives me strength, or something to that degree. And then he goes, uh, like I don't know if it's faith, but like I like have this love for God. And he's like that. Rodriguez, he goes, I have this love for God. Is that the same? And then Rodriguez goes, like it has to be. Like it, like I would imagine that. So, um, so that dude, uh. For like, like if you ask me, he was like one of the closest people. It's almost every every single person that in that movie, almost every single person had like a, uh, if they weren't asked to like be Jesus or like portray like Jesus in his entirety at one point, then they were playing like some biblical character. Uh, uh, even uh, so, uh. Mokichi, he was willing to do that like wholeheartedly the whole time. He was like. I accept. I accept this. Doesn't matter because I'm going to uh, go to paradise. All that fun stuff doesn't matter. Um, they ask uh, uh, Kenshijiro to do the same thing as well. They go, "Hey, you're a man of God. You confess your sins. Why don't you sacrifice yourself? You're not even part of this village. They might even be lenient." And Kenshijiro's like, "You guys are crazy. I'm not doing that." Um, while everyone He's else also, is like, "We should clarify who that character is." So the Kichijiro is the character who actually gets them to the island and it's discovered at some point that he he was willing to so they well let's let's for the for the listeners let's let's like fill them in on what the apostasy looks like in this film and in japan and in buddhist japan um in this this film takes place in the mid 1600s the mid 17th edo edo period japan right in in a in a time in which um the actual church the the church in western europe is actually under like very intense prosecution this is like a very uh difficult time for it's, a, it's outlawed outright. Well, it's outlawed in japan but it's even undergoing a lot of like scrutiny in in europe um for a number of things that we could get into um but so like apostasy looks like in japan at this time um, they would take the hidden Christians of, in, that are living in the shogunate, um, who are the, the Japanese officials, would like find, they would seek out and sniff out the Christians, find them, and then force them to apostatize by like stepping on what is a fumi, um, which is like an image of Christ that's basically carved in stone and they would have to step upon. And that would, that would announce their, and they would, they would play like psychological tricks and like tell you, tell, especially on the priests in this film, they would basically, they would express that like, Oh, you can still have your faith. Just do this. It's just a formality. So it's, it's a, um, I, I, they literally say that verbatim that it's just a formality. Just and formality. I'd like, I, I'd, I'd like to think that that is like a, uh, like you said, like a psychological way oh, to break it down. Right. Like they're like the, uh, the, uh, the interpreter, he's like the first thing he says to him, he's like, you know, he's like, peace be upon you you know what i mean he's like very like formal like respecting of his religion but he's like 
dude, he's like, it's just not going to work here. He's like, you're in a bad spot. It's he's a swamp. Like, just, as, as Father Ferreira says, it's a swamp, and it's it's been tried yeah. to spread here, and it just and so but like he, the he, problem with that is that there already are Christians there, and this is like the the conundrum of the but you're not the but, film with the story. Go ahead. But like, why is so Rodriguez in his um in his like fervor uh. When Mokichi asks him, he's like, what do I do? What do I do when I'm asked? And that I think that's what I was getting to when I first said, like, he's like one of my favorite characters. He wasn't worried about when he was sacrificing himself to die. He's like, what do I do when they ask me to trample on the, uh, on the, he tells him to trample. he tells him, he, he goes, he says, trample. And, uh, that's Garupe when, is against that. Garupe, exactly. That's when Garupe yeah. is like, he's Father like, Garupe nope. does not want him to because it's a formality nope. thing. He, and like, yep. He's like, if you believe in it, he's like, just pray for strength. He's like, that's don't, don't go against the religion. But uh, as you see, as the movie progresses, uh, Rodriguez goes through the same psychological turmoil that uh, Father Ferrer does. Father Ferrer strength- goes through the same. That's why it's the opposite. That's why it's the opposite of what you'd expect. So, like, obviously, this, the film is centered around Andrew Garfield's character, Father Rodriguez. And yet, mm-hmm. Adam Driver's character, Father Garupe, is, like, almost like the secondary character. He's the secondary priest. You can tell he's kind of, like, second in line. And and you're the, the way... Oh, well, yeah, it's, the, it's their journey. It's their journey, but it's mostly Rodriguez's journey, right? And for, in a lot of ways, because he's he's your narrator. He does the, the voiceover for the narration. So you assume that he's like, he's the guy we're kind of seeing. He's the lens in which we're seeing the film. But here's, here's where I'm going to answer your question. The reason that he tells him to trample is not because, and this is why the film is so tricky. And this is why Martin Scorsese is such a good writer. And I wish he wrote more of his films. He doesn't write a lot of his films. This is only the second film he's written since Casino, like from 1995. Like, like he doesn't write his films very often or co-write them. He co-wrote this with Jay Cox. But this is why it's so tricky. He, Father Rodriguez, is the weaker character. He's he represents human weakness. He represents the weakest version. Like his willingness to trample, he doesn't truly understand. Which is why I'm going to shift this. I'm going to shift this forward a little bit. That the reason that you you discover this about why he's misguided. He's truly misguided. He's he's kind of put in his position because he is a father. He's a priest. So like he is who the Christian, the hidden Christians of Japan who are hiding from the shogunate, he's who they're looking to on Godo Island for salvation and confession to wash away sins because, because he's just a vessel for them to, to alleviate their sins. Right. Mm-hmm. But they're stronger than him. They're the stronger, they're the strongest, stronger religious characters. He, in the he film. says that their faith is stronger than his. And he represents human weakness and the reason that you know this is because he doesn't get it right like he doesn't actually get it and the reason that you know that he doesn't get it until the end of the film is that he is subjecting himself to martyrdom in a different way different than garupe garupe like subjects himself he fork he he literally gives his life to to, to, to save someone else to, to quote unquote he knew he wasn't going to save someone else but he just he couldn't bear with not dying with them like he he commits true martyrdom like he dies in the name of god to try to save to hold up another you know in the scene and i'll explain to the viewers a bunch of the christians are wrapped in straw and then pushed off of a off of a small boat 
off the coast and um, off of one of the coastlines in into water where they're going to sink because the straw, once the straw gets wet, it'll start to sink and they'll, they'll drown. And then Garupe, Father Garupe, swims out to try to save one of them and hold them up, and then he drowns as well and dies. And Rodriguez is restrained, and he has to watch the whole thing. But why he's the weaker character is you see the scene. You see when it happens. You see when it's when it's discovered why he's the weakest character. He's actually the weakest character until this moment. Because he's the weakest character because he thinks he's Christ. And you see that when he's yes. looking, he sees his he sees the reflection of Jesus Christ in the water when he's looking. He has the delusion. He has the delusion where he actually. So sees and and so, um, Father Ferrer, Liam Neeson, he tells him something to that air as well. He says, um, he says these people are dying for God. He says, no, they're not. They're dying for you. Exactly. Exactly. He's like they're not dying for they're dying for the idea of God, just like you are doing this for the idea of exactly. that. Like if you actually believed truly, you would uh, you would what is it? Uh, you would spread the gospel to every living creature. You wouldn't be hiding. You wouldn't. You would right. just you wouldn't be in hiding. You'd be willing. You wouldn't to... be scared of per- persecution. You would welcome it. Right. You and, would. And... You would be put on the cross. You would. Well, that's what makes the Japanese so like brilliant in this film is like they keep the they. This is what's so clever about like their approach. They keep the fathers alive. They keep them well fed. They keep them washed. They keep them. And I actually, I actually thought about this after the fact because I remember talking to my talking to my wife about this and saying. Like, why is his fucking hair always like, like Father Rodriguez, Andrew Garfield's character, his hair always looks clean. He always, like, there's a, there's parts of the film that, like, it takes me out. I'm just like, oh, this dude's, like, washing his hair on, like, offset. And, like, I'm like, like come on, man, commit to the, the, it's the 1600s. Your hair shouldn't be so clean. Like, why is his hair, like, combed and brushed and, like, what are you doing? Like, I feel he, like this was a myth. Says- it's, it's a, no, hold on, let me finish. There's a reason for that. It's because the Japanese are keeping him that way because they are preserving. And I, I haven't heard Martin Scorsese speak to this in interviews, but I wish I could ask him this question. If I could ask him one question about this film, it would be this. It would be like, did you intentionally make part of the of the Father Rodriguez character look as though he's been well-fed, he's been well-taken care of, he's he has like the vanity of, he, he gets to experience the vanity of like self-care. Because the Japanese, he is a substitution for Christianity by the Japanese. The Japanese do not want to outlaw Christianity in and of itself. It's not valuable for them to completely wipe Christianity from the country. It's to keep the the it's to keep alive the ideological state of Christianity and then to thwart it. So that so that the the Buddhists who consider prove it. To prove it wrong. Exactly. Right. Exactly. To prove it's not one thing to just like because he says it. He goes, every time we kill a priest, we make just we make martyrs. We just make more. Exactly. But that's also um, Rodriguez says something almost to the uh, almost to answer your question. Exactly. He says uh, to the interpreter, he goes, you've he goes, you've kept my uh, you've kept me well fed to turn my body against me. Exactly. Right. To make him think, to make him right. that it's not that bad. Like we're not the bad people. We're doing this, but like, you know, you're the bad person for that. He's like, you've been trying to turn, like, you've been trying to turn my body against me. Right. Yeah. It's so smart. It's such a smart and it, it's, it's smart because it's not smart. It's a smart trick by Scorsese, but it's not as clever as the Japanese 
in you know doing this in real in real life because i'm sure they did is like you know i i just think this 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 process of persecution that's undergone in the film is actually really it's a really intelligent way of going about um manipulating a religion um, from not existing in the country it's not it's not to wipe it out but to keep the idea keep the idea alive so there's something to actually rail against right can you need a monster you need something to fight against right and i so think like i think the way they handle it is uh is perfect because it is so scary it's one thing just to have like the uh, people who are opposing it, like their religion or whatever, just to come in and be like, you're wrong because you're different, blah, blah, blah. They're like, no, we understand this. It doesn't work here. And we are going to force you to say that, like, through blood. Like, whether yeah. you like it or not. Well, because, like, the that's why they keep the priests so... The priests are not, like, outright murdered because they are the vessel. Like, it's just like, it's just like you just said, as they said in the film, about the martyrdom. Like, killing a priest produces martyrdom but like the priests are closer to the ideology in a pure in a manifestation form than the followers than the christian the japanese christian followers because they are closer to god by by you know by virtue of fact by virtue of just position within the church so like keeping them alive and keeping them um and also by the way like if they apostatize they're 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 a they're a they're a step if if you know if if a follower sees a priest apostatize they're likely to do it too which is why and they also use you know they're playing the long game they're trying to they're trying to convert as many christians as possible and the way to do that is to flip is to flip the faith of the priest and the way to flip the faith of the priest is by murdering his followers in front of them which they do right which the, I mean, what do you think about the? Tell me what you think about the the crucifixion scene. I mean, that is probably one of the hardest. Um, that's one of the scenes most hard to watch. And, and so, I mean, it's awesome. It's just awesome. So, so like the uh, Garupe death scene, it's it's like a twofold. It's like a it's like a it's a death and like a rebirth. It's like a baptism. Right. Yeah. Truly. Um. My. Uh, in that rough scene, one of my uh, favorite like aspects of it is uh, how um, Rodriguez he notes that they're given sake as uh, Jesus was given vinegar uh, by the Romans. Mm, okay, so I think that's one of them, or I think I think it may be one of the most misinterpreted uh, like verses or things in the Bible because. Um, just because I'm ignorant and I interpreted it wrong. So I'm like, Oh, everyone else must have too, because I'm a genius. Uh, so in the Bible, when he's, when Jesus is put on the cross, the Roman soldiers feed him vinegar and then put him up there. And in my mind, like, I think a lot of other people, they're like, it's gross, bro. Like what? They're just like making them drink that. That's disgusting. Like they're just adding insult to injury. Like here, drink some of this. Like, Pfft dork like that'd be bitter it'd be gross but that is what they carried on them uh what like to drink because uh vinegar it's uh, it has electrolytes it's a it's a salt it's in, like an acid it's got you know so you have a you have a vinegar water mixture and 
you drink some of that and it kind of revitalizes you a little bit. So with them exactly like they were doing to the uh, to the Jesuits, keeping them alive, keeping them well fed, they didn't put a Mokichi and a, a Jisma and the other guy up on those crosses like to die in a couple of days. They're like, nah, here, get some stuff to eat. You guys got three days to live your life. Right. Yeah, the, and then like, here's this too. The preservation of something of like of like another's faith to um because like and this is it makes you actually think people are just so much fucking smarter than like i don't know why and in, in, in it's obviously you had you had less to worry about yeah it's just like you could you could think about things a little more deeply that's all i i, I don't mean to say smarter but the wrong word but like you, you had more time there was just more depth well no it's not even so i mean yeah that is obviously true that there was more time but there's people could think things to a deeper level and that's what this film really is this film is like um, and Scorsese has actually said this in interviews that like this film is about the depth of faith. Um, it's and it's also about so like Father Rodriguez, the experience that he undergoes, obviously watching um watching his watching many followers, Christian followers be murdered in front of him and and tortured and just the awful things that go down in the film. It's when he finally so let's well, let's dive into it, right? So well, I'll just uh, let me update the, the where we're at in the plot just to just to move the the conversation a little bit ahead. So at this point in the film, right before this the scene we're going to talk about, Rodriguez is then he he eventually gets um, he's captured by it because um, the the character the the what's his name I'm sorry um, let me get his name really quick Kichijiro um, when that character basically um twice betrays him right at least twice um gets him captured by the shogunate then he's now captured by the shogunate he's undergoing he's having to witness all of this this violence around him this this like horror this horror of uh, these horrible acts against his christian followers he is now finally talking he sees father ferrero so father ferrero comes to him sits with him and expresses the things some of the things we've been talking about about like talking about japan like a swamp it is it nothing will grow here like the, the the christian belief will not grow here you can plant your seeds here but they just won't grow he said so, he says the most he says the most important thing during that whole thing he says uh he says uh well other than the uh they're not they're dying for you they're not dying for god he says uh the whole thing was a mistranslation they're deifying the son of god and he's like they are looking at the sun uh, Desu-sama. Right. So this is exactly uh, Deus, yeah, Deus-sama. And then they think it's the sun, like so, like the son of God rose on the or he rose on the third day in Christianity, but in Japanese uh, Christianity, he rises every day because he's the sun it's, god. It's, it's not. That's, even, it's not even the same faith, but like that's what's so. so they they hint at that too in the beginning, like when um, Rodriguez is there. Um, with uh, when Rodriguez is there and Garupe uh, in the first island, when they're just doing what they can do because they're priests, it's funny because uh, Garupe is the first thing they show and he's doing confession. They yeah. speak fluent Japanese, yeah, they do. he knows like a little bit, but he's like, Wait, What are you saying? Like, what's going on? So they're confessing like everything, but it, it he doesn't know what's going on, like, he does not hear, he technically doesn't hear their confession because he doesn't know what they're saying that's why that's why he represents the weakest character in the film while also like being the protagonist 
Like, well, no, no. Garupe is the one who's trying to uh, listen to. Well, they so they both listen to confessions, but the first person they're showing Garupe, and Garupe is like, a, "Like, wait, what'd you say?" And then right after oh, that, right. they show, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Right after that, they show Rod uh, Rod Rodriguez, and he's doing a baptism. And then after they're done, the parents look so happy, and they say, uh, "So now the kid will live in paradise here." That's not the faith. That's not. And then, yeah, Garupe is like, no, like it's not, no, it's not going to be paradise here. Um, he's like, oh, they're they're with God though, and he's like, well, no, God is God is here with us right now, but they're not with God. There's a place being prepared for us right now, and uh, they just both look at each other, and then Garupe is like, I'm frustrated with myself because i don't like i'm having a hard time like conveying this stuff but then Liam Mason it's, such says, conv- it's such a convince it's such a convincing film um and this is why it in a lot of ways it's just it's so brilliant it's so so brilliant in this way because it actually takes on it it doesn't it would be so easy to make a christian film or a religious film in any way it would be so easy for a filmmaker to say i'm going to make a christian film or i'm going to make a, a religious film and I'm really gonna go deep into like the questions and the and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk I'm gonna really kind of go down the rabbit hole with some of the questions about faith and about um and about religion and the doctrines and like it's so easy to do. Scorsese does something that's so fucking unique and I just I respect him so much for this is that he not only does that but he also invokes the legitimate questions of doubt of faith and doubt. Like he and and he and then produces his own. Like th- this is like the most personal film I think he's ever made because I really do feel like these are the questions of because he's like a deep he's like a very like uh, he's a deep Catholic like I think he was almost a he was almost a priest himself at one point um, before going into film and like I think these are the questions that like he grapples with when he's um you know when he's thinking about his own faith and uh, let me just read a quote. Uh, so like he was asked um and he he obviously made the last temptation of christ which is like obviously you know a, a different passion project from the late 80s um but when asked why this project when asked why he retained interest in the project over 26 years scorsese said this quote as you get older ideas come and go questions answers loss of the answer again and more questions and this is what really interests me yes the cinema and the people in my life and my family are most important, but ultimately as you get older, there's got to be more. Silence is just something that I'm drawn to in that way. It's an obsession. It has to be done. It's a strong, wonderful, true story, a thriller in a way, but it deals with those questions. And that is truth. Like that is the truth of this film is that, and we'll talk about like the title and it's like, and how appropriate and like, and like powerful the title is. But like, I just think that this film is willing to go to it's willing to talk about, and that's 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 a bold thing for a filmmaker to do, especially one that believes in God to like to like bring the interpretations of faith across people, it, across it's almost it, it almost seems blasphemous. Truly, like willingly too. Right, like because you had like because to make something so in depth, you have to be willing to entertain like the other side, like understand where they're coming from. Right. And so we'll talk a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about the title. Like, obviously, the title of the book and the title of the film is the same. It's it's silence. And in a lot of ways, um, I mean, in my interpretation, the idea of silence is the like calling the film and calling the book t- silence isn't necessarily about like 
a lot of people can interpret it as like the silence of God when like trying to find answers in terms of to maintain one's faith. Right. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, it's actually different. It's about the interpretation of the silent spaces in between your prayer. Like, and I'm not a religious person, but like I have a lot of interest in religious doctrine because I just, I don't think there's like, it's just it's like it's just such an important part of like human psychology and human like it's it's undeniably like this just it's just baked in in so many ways so it's like very important to understand to some degree and to give it its due diligence um but from my perspective it's like it's more the the concept of silence isn't like oh i can't i'm not hearing from god i'm not hearing from god in the ways i thought so now i'm doubtful and my faith is like weakened it's more so about like how we interpret this, the silence, the silent spaces in between prayer. Like when we're not asking for God, what the, what those moments of silence mean. Um, I'd be interested to hear what, like, what's your interpretation of like why the the content is called. It's referred to oh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a basic, uh, I'm a basic bitch. You had me on the first interpretation. I think it's um just a on the nose interpretation of like, uh like the silence of God just being a like a a a euphemism for like faith right like 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 being able to grapple with like when when you call upon him and he doesn't answer yeah you need to renounce your faith or do you right or do you he's he's never technically answered but he's always there if you believe so like does the what does the silence mean to you like will it ever like get to a point where like just because he doesn't respond, you no longer believe if that's what it takes, then you don't have strong faith. Well, like, so Scorsese talks about like, um, and we'll, we'll dive a little bit into the, as we're kind of inching a little bit closer. And I do want to say, I, I, I think that this topic in this film actually deserves like a five hour podcast, like in all seriousness and Errol, Errol, you know, strap in dude. Well, we, we could, but like, we've got, you know, this is, we can we'll we'll talk more about this film you know in in the in the future of course um but in my interpretation it's like i think that father rodriguez realizes at the end of the film and this is when it turns right he realizes at one point that the vessel for his faith is within him it's not within his actions Right. So like there's like obviously the doctrine he's expected to uphold. There's the, you know, he resists the apostatization and actually it, which actually leads to the death of followers, Mm -hmm. to the death of faithful Christians in Japan. And I think that eventually he realizes that he is actually his soul himself. It's like, this is what makes this such a deeply personal film for Scorsese and for, um, the writer of the book, obviously, that like he realizes that he his faith is within him, and it's not about the extradition of faith um, by by the people around him. It's so, like the, 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 your faith is within, and you can your actions are not. He he realizes that like stepping on the fumi is not like is, and then you can't apostatize unless you truly renounce faith. Within. And then and then what does he do after that? What does he do once you see that flip? He stays. He stays silent. He doesn't say a word. He doesn't say anything. He just just writes. He doesn't 
care. It's not a big deal because like you said, it's strong within it's on the inside. That's when the character flips. That's when his like, that's when his faith becomes strong. Like his faith is weak the whole film up until this point. It's so strange because it's such a beautiful flip because his faith is actually weak until he apostatizes. And when he does, that's when that's, his weak, that's when his weakness is alleviated and his faith becomes truly strong. But that's what um that's what he says. He asked that question. He goes uh like uh, earlier in the film. He's like, why must the people in this land suffer so much? Why is this test so hard? Like, you could be like a Christian on the other side of the world and like have it easy. But like, if you just happen to say you're a Christian here, like beheaded like hot springs. Um, it's to the point when they first run up on a. Kinchichiro, uh, he's like, hey, you're a Christian? He's like, no, no, no Christian. No. He just has PTSD. He's like, no. He's he's across the world. And he's like, are you a Christian? He's like, nope. You got me fucked up. He's like, (laughs) ah, son. He's like, they kill them. He's like, I am a good boy. Um, But uh, Kinchichiro, the name translates, uh, the kanjis translate to uh, good uh, good judgment men a good judgment or like good management or good luck well right. male yep. but pretty much i i take I, I look at it as just like a good judged man while kanchichiro is arguably the biggest piece of garbage in the whole movie i think he is the closest version to actual man yeah it's it's so true well he's he's the most important character in the film in my opinion because like he is he is the representation of like, cause that's what the whole film is truly about. It's about the, it's about the acceptance of weakness within the human spirit. Like, yes, like he has, what, he has the, the film is trying to reach for. He has the worst backstory out of everyone. Yeah. Oh, he's because you could, you could view him as cowardly because he didn't, he didn't. Um, and it's so complicated because you do it. It's so, well, so you, you view like, him as cowardly, like because, but. He watched his family. He watched his family right. burned alive. So he watched his family get burned alive, and like so, like I was saying with the PTSD, he's like, "No, I'm not a Christian." Um, he says, he says, uh, uh, "I'd like to think that um, he he doesn't believe he's uh, he doesn't believe he's deserving of redemption to like God." He's like, "I am this vile of a person where God will shun me away." Uh, he says. Um, Oh, what's he say? He goes, uh, he goes, I smell the flesh and I see the flames all the time. And he's like, um, I thought I might be deserving of like redemption or like a, a deserving of like God's grace because like in my dreams, the flames aren't so bright. Oh my God. And the, I mean, beautiful writing, but so fucking heartbreaking. I mean, just- dude, so look, he, he's living in hell every day he's he's just remembering his family being burned alive in front of him looking at him like you are a coward you like have forsaken us and you're not gonna be where we are when you die because you're not going to be saved like you're not you denounce god so like he's like i this is the last time i'm seeing them and they're in agony I mean, just powerful stuff. Let's let's what we're gonna do next. We're just gonna take a quick break. Let's take a quick break, Errol. Um, we'll be back in a minute. So just hang tight.
folks. We're back. Uh, we're talking Silence by Martin Scorsese, 2016 epic. Uh, monster, monster film. It had, uh, there's just so much to unpack. And it's such a deep film with such a deep, um, such a deep message and such a, such a plethora of content to, you know, uh, religiosity and theological aspects to the film um, just provide a, a really, a really dense amount of discussion. So, um, to round that out a little bit, I do want to talk a little bit about the logistics of the film, just for a quick moment, Errol, if you'll uh, oblige me. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk. Uh, so, you know, let's talk about the box office. It did flip and terrible at the box office, which is, uh, hey, that's no, you can't attribute any of that to us because we were in that. Listen, I might have maybe, slept. Yeah, I was like, maybe that people bitch, weren't but... sleeping through it. Oh, I paid my damn ticket, though. He got my money. You should have bought a second one. I should have brought us. I Maybe should've. it wouldn't have been bad if I, um, if half the people who fell asleep bought a second ticket. It's a shame. It. It, it's a shame. I mean, the the production it cost about forty to fifty million to make. Um, and two good, two. I mean, three. And a, a lot of star-studded cast. Yeah, I mean, at forty to fifty million make it grossed seven point one million, um, in the U.S. and sixteen point six million in other territories uh, for a worldwide of twenty point seven million. It broke even. No, I lost. That like that's the total worldwide. Wait, how much did it cost? Oh, 40? It said? lost money. Yeah, it lost money. It cost 40 to 50 million. It only grossed 23.7. I mean, over time it'll probably balance out. I mean, potentially. Um, but the but the critics loved it. It was because uh, it's such a it's such an incredible film. And, and only a guy like Martin Scorsese can do something like this where like you know how he is. Uh, if you look back at his at his catalog, like he's just this guy. He's just he makes one for the studios, and then he'll make one for himself. And this was very clearly for himself. Um, let's 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 talk a little Martin Scorsese. I want to pay homage to this guy. I mean, this this is probably personally this is my favorite filmmaker um, of all time. Like in terms of like career, like he he's my guy. He's made more of my favorite movies than any other filmmaker. I mean, I just love, I've seen almost everything he's done. I, I just love everything he's done. He's, he's so good. Um, you're talking, he puts out uh, Mean Streets in 1973. It's a, a massive, like a cult classic, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, which is critically acclaimed, didn't do so well at the box office, not a, not a, not a monster hit, but a, but a good film. Um Taxi Driver in 76, which is personally one of my all-time favorite films. I think Me too. I'm I think right that's there. genuinely one of the best films ever made. It's it's in probably my top 15, I would say. Um, I actually I actually just was um, thinking about this the other day. I, I think De Niro in Taxi Driver is the best acting performance that's ever been captured on film. You think so? Yes, I do. Absolutely. I, I, I cannot believe. And I didn't think that until I saw it again for probably, I've seen it probably five or six times. And I just watched it with my wife over the summer and I, I, I paid really, really close attention to it. And uh, his acting performance in that film is so fucking specific in like every little detail. I, I think it's it's if it's not the great the greatest acting performance is certainly in the top three. Um, and another one in the top three probably with that is. Uh, Raging Bull, which comes out a few years later. Uh, Raging Bull about Jake LaMotta. Just another, another amazing film. King of Comedy was... Uh, I've actually not seen that. After Hours, not seen that. Color of Money with Paul Newman and Tom Cruise. Great film. Uh, Follow-up to The the Hustler. Um, 
Last Temptation of Christ, which is in this vein. So like he, this, as you can see, he'll make like five or six studio films that are like um, maybe they're Raging Bull is probably considered a little bit of an art house film in some ways, but it's also, it, it certainly is a, you know, it, it does, it did reach the mainstream and it's became one of the greatest films ever made. Um, King of Comedy, another, that's a studio, After Hours, Color of Money. These are all like studio films. And then he makes The Last Temptation of Christ, which he got absolutely shellacked for by the public. It was written by Paul Schrader and it's, um, it was another religious film, obviously, um, that he and Jay Cox wrote together. And it's, I've never seen it. Um, Willem Dafoe plays Christ, which Willem Dafoe, I mean, we've talked about him on the podcast and what an amazing actor. I mean, um, but then he goes on to make Goodfellas in 1990. He makes Cape Fear in 91, a year later, which is fucking amazing. Uh, Age of Innocence, which is, a, I've actually not seen that. And I've, I've, I owe myself that film casino, which is basically another Goodfellas, but like in a different world. And it's excellent. Kundun, which is another Japanese film, uh, I believe, right. Does that take place in, no, it's Chinese. I'm sorry. It's uh, it takes place in Tibet. Um, bringing out the dead gangs of New York, the aviator, the departed shutter Island, Hugo, Wolf of wall street, leading all the, all the way up to silence. He follows up silence after after that with the Irishman, which was incredible. And um, I really like the Aviator, dude. The Aviator is amazing, right? I, I love yeah. it too. In all fairness, though, he didn't really um, he directed the film, but like I think he kind of took the film over more so. That's what I've heard is that like he kind of came in last minute. Like the film was like not done, but like in production. And he kind of like, I think Michael Mann was directing it or something. And he kind of took the project over. So I, I don't know how much like creative oversight he had on it, but nonetheless, a great film, a truly oh, yeah. amazing film. Um, uh, so before we move into uh, what's what he's got coming next, Errol, what, what's your, what would you consider to be your favorite of, of Martin Scorsese's works? I mean, the, I, I actually truly think silence is in the mix for me, but it's, it's certainly not my favorite. What, what would you consider to be your favorite Scorsese flick? Man, it would be hard for me to not put this over taxi driver. This because, taxi driver or taxi driver is your, that's you. Yeah. Right? I would say taxi driver is my baby. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good pick. It, it, but it, but Uh-oh. if there was any other movie that would be it, it would be this movie. It would be Silence. Um, yes. I love Wolf of Wall Street, and I believe, I, without telling you how the sausage is made, I think that's what we're going to be doing sometime soon. Wolf of we Wall Street. Before, yeah, not to, yeah. Tell, not to Listen, spill the beans. We'll announce it now. So, like, the 10-year anniversary for Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street is coming this December you can mark it down. We're going to go, we're going to dive into that film uh, head first um, this coming December. We've got a couple, I've got a couple of Chris, Christmas related ideas. Uh, love that time of year. And that's a great time of year for movies. It's a great time of year for music. It's a great time of year for books. It's a great time of year for a lot of that kind of stuff. That's what we do here at the Proof of Reviews podcast. So we'll, uh, but we'll, we'll, uh, we can announce that right now. We are, we are planning a full film podcast on the Wolf of Wall Street um, for December at the 10 year anniversary mark of the film. So look out for that. That's coming. That's definitely coming. Um, also before then, and like, that'll be our second Scorsese flick. And we, sh- you know, to th- those, those films were back to back 2013, 2016. Interesting that we started with his modern stuff before getting into like 
taxi driver raging bull and goodfellas and like the right politics, but um no problem we'll get back to those at, at some point but i will say this um we might even have a special feature a, another special feature podcast um I, i'm errol i don't even think i haven't really talked about this with you but i you know I, i'm sure you'll be down to do it we will probably also be doing a special feature podcast a little special preview episode on killers of the flower moon when that comes out um, oh yeah for sure so you errol you're just as well as i are very um anxious to see that and i'm sure you'll see it in theaters as will i when it does come out that's Scors- scorsese's next flick leonardo dicaprio robert de niro lily gladstone jesse Plemons, john lithgow brendan frazier a lot of great actors in this film um it's coming out in about a month uh and i wouldn't be more excited going- about it we're going on a little Scorsese bender. I, I yeah, sure. I mean, that. listen, when he puts in, he doesn't do films as frequently as he used to. It's usually once every four or five years. So when he does, uh, you got to stop and talk about him. And uh, I'm glad to do so because he he's he's incredible. He's he's probably my favorite filmmaker person. Um, he's just he's had such a great career, and uh, he he I've listened to his interviews, um, and I, I just think he's such a good person. I I really I really like him as a person. I really he seems like I'm. I feel like I'm related to him. I don't know why he just talks my language. I guess that's kind of, um, I really like, uh, like the, it's kind of like a, there's an air of realness to like everything he does. Like, it seems like rooted. Yeah. I don't want to say like in like it grounded would be a better word. I don't, cause I didn't want to say like rooted in reality, but the characters always seem very fleshed out, very personable. Like, um, no one ever says something that's like truly out of place. Like every single, every, like if someone's on screen, like they're there for a reason, like they have, uh, something to bring. Yeah. I think it's, he's a New York city guy. I mean, the guys he's from New York and, um, and man, he just, you know, he just knows how to make film. He just, he, he does, he knows all the tricks. He knows all the production, um, he knows how to, he knows how to push, uh, he knows how to push the narrative forward. He knows how to use music. Like he knows how to write. Like he's just, he's just everything you want from a filmmaker. And I, this, this film silence is such an unbelievable display of like, listen, I'm, I know how to make the big budget wall street film. That's fucking showy. And like, there's millions of dollars being pumped into it. And I've got the, the like most handsome fucking movie star in the world leading, but I also know how to break down and, and slip away for a couple of years and then come back into and make a passion project, a religious passion project that like speaks to my soul and speaks to my upbringing and speaks to my ancestors and speaks to right. like, and to like a, a, a period or like a, an era and stuff that like was kind of, I don't want to say like slept on, but like, this is something that happened that like, is just kind of swept underneath. And I think true. That, it's basically, it's basically yeah. truth for sure. And I, and I like, um, like what, uh, uh, what Rodriguez says, he goes, uh, like he says something to the tune. He's like, why do these people need to suffer so much? Like they have the hardest battle. And I do think like, being a Christian in Edo period, Japan was probably like the hardest time to be a Christian. Like, I don't like that. That was beheadings. Um, the, uh, the hot springs. I love how they called the place unzen unzen. 
Yeah. Unzen. Yeah. Perfect. Just not Zen. Like the, not, not peace. We, yeah. We, it's we the opposite Buddhism, of peace. We leave the doctrines of Buddhism behind us when we come. Right. And like, so here. everything else is like peace when you're there. It's like a not peace. So that's how I, I can't think of a better word for hell. Like if heaven is Zen, then unzen would be hell. Yeah. It's a beautiful film. And I, I, I do feel like we, we could talk it to death. We could talk about it forever just because, it, and once again, like I wanted to make sure that we paid, um, we paid respect to the film, like the film itself, yeah. because like the, the theology around the film and the religiosity of the film and the spirituality of the film is a conversation that's going to go on forever. And I, I hope. Yeah. So the, we, we, re- we revisit the topic maybe in like a fireside chat. Like we've always talked about doing a fireside chat as a series in the, in the podcast where Errol and I will sit down and kind of just like um, discuss some of these deeper elements of like human nature. And um, this film is like a great catalyst for this, but like, um, I do want to, I do want to pay close attention to like how much we talk about, like just what an impressive piece of filmmaking it is. Cause it really, it, it really is truly that. Yeah, the the one thing I did want to like uh, touch upon is uh with uh Rodriguez how you said he's like the weakest character. I do like how it's portrayed because while he is like his faith is kind of the weakest, he never truly like changes his viewpoint. Like he's still just as strong, but it takes him not changing it. What I mean by that is uh he starts off saying your life is worth more than the religion. You can still believe it. Like trample, and then he has a hard time like you know dealing with that like just being like, i'm, I'm gonna announce or denounce the religion but when he finally gets to the point where he's like i'm go- if i'm gonna if i can tell people to trample i'm gonna trample like he gets to the point where like we said at the end where he's just silent he's not saying anything he's just trampling all over it doesn't matter what he says it just remain- it like gets- matters what he feels it's at that point that he truly understands that like he is the vessel for his faith and it's not that it's not the physical actions in the real world it's it's what's within it's like the faith within and that's and that's when it flips and he does become silent and he and his well, that's prayer also prayer becomes silent because he knows that it's it's about faith is about the re, the relationship you have with God within and that you never right. truly and God which I think is so powerful to me that's so fucking powerful and like I'm not a religious person but I was I, I believe in like I believe in like the human spirit to a lot of a lot of degree and sometimes like sometimes like human psychology is so attached to like some of the things we do instead of the way that we feel about the things that we do. And we're so hard on ourselves. Like we, like as a human, you know, as humans in the West and it's, it's so much, it's so complicated by like the pettiness of how easy life truly is now. And I think it's so, I think it's so, it's such an important message for secularists and religious folk to pay attention to like how you treat yourself within how you treat yourself internally is as if not more important than the way that that manifests in your actions, because like you only have, you only have your mind and like you learn this in a lot of, and Buddhists, Buddhists appreciate this uh, tremendously in, in the faith of Buddhism, because like obviously meditation is their prayer practice. Right. And like Mm -hmm. meditation focused on this Buddhist, uh, Buddhist monks will, will focus on this immensely about like, well, obviously like one of the doctrines of Buddhism is like suffering is like essential. Right. Um, right. But like that conversation within, with like within your yourself and like meditation is all about that, about being about like paying close mindful attention to like what to each thought and how it manifests itself on its own and like the human mind and consciousness. Like this is all, this is all like intertwined. And I just love that this was 
intersected with the Christian faith in, in this way, because like, I think it's actually a very unifying film in this way. It takes, it takes two religions and it cross-secs them in the, in a way that's like very unique. And I, I think only a Japanese Christian could do that. And I think that's what, that's what happened with the novel, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. It takes an intimate knowledge of both uh, Christianity and like Buddhism and like the idiosyncrasies of both um, to kind of make, make such a, like, like a touching, like a deep piece. A beautiful stew. It's like a beautiful stew of religion, of spirituality, of two religions that are, are, that have, that have, that, have, that, have, that so much martyrdom and violence has been like uh, a result of them, but like are about peace. And but like, and yeah, like that's what, like I said it at the beginning, like I feel terrible. Like it's not exactly how I feel, but like the Japanese people almost like aren't wrong like what they were trying to prevent was like any kind of colonialism and like the way you spread, I mean, I don't know if you play any kind of civ like civilization or anything. Oh Oh, yeah. Back in the day, for sure. Way you spread your whole, uh, everything or uh, an easy way to like spread your uh, ideas is through religion. Like once a religion takes root where you are, like it's because it's the fastest path to the human spirit, to the human soul. Right, and, and if the you, human soul is it, it, like this is what literature is about because it's literature. It's how That's you, what literature does. It's, it's how thing. you. It's how you ignite. Pa- it's one of the easiest ways to ignite passion in people. Mm-hmm. And like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that it, like Christianity was was a like a poison in Japan at that time, but I will say, and it's what they will say is, it's definitely not what they were looking for at that time. No, they no, were that's trying why it didn't to take. It's why it didn't yeah. grow there because it was predominantly it was predominantly a Buddhist country, just like the Chinese. But the difference is, is that there were like my my like as I said at the beginning of the podcast is that like what do you then do with the Japanese Christians? who renounced who actually did renounce buddhism and believed in jesus like, what right do what do you what do you kill them and then they go to heaven because it was outlawed they were hidden they had to be hidden and like they had to either fake apostasy or they had to truly apostatize and and or be killed and like it's just a it's complicated because i like imperialism was a real thing at the time and japanese know a lot about imperialism because they conducted they conducted their own imperialist ways in uh, you know only a couple hundred years later and they had been actually inflicted upon them in this time as well so like it's just complicated like everything is like it's impossible for us to sit here and unpack you know religious imperialism religious colonialism um which basically is I would say colonialism and imperialism both were almost always inflicted upon the backs of, of religious faith in one doctrine or another. Um, Good way to get a foot in the door. That's right. Yeah, like you just said, it's it's the fastest, you know, it's the way to the human spirit. It's the way to the it's the way to invigorate passion in people. Um, but either way, I think I think it's a Christian film, but it it's so honest and you just you really just, I don't know, for me, I just i i just love Martin Scorsese and I, I just respect what he did with this film so much. I just think it's, it, it's, um, it was such a difficult, difficult project for him. Um, I did have a few issues with the film too. I, it's hard to bring them up now because I've just been praising it so much. And, and now that I know more about the film too, after doing our research and, and listening to Martin Scorsese talk about, um, you know, what the film meant to him and what he was um 
you know, aiming at and what he was going for and what the, what he interpreted the novel to be going for. It's hard for me to like hearken too much on it. I did have a l- couple of little issues with um, some of the Japanese acting. Um, like, I, I don't know if you would agree with me, but I just felt like some of the Japanese acting was a little bit substandard. Um, Inua, in, Inoue was, uh, Inoue Samoa was, um, the, the actor who plays him, I'm sorry, I don't have the actor's name and I don't, I don't mean to dismirch the actor. I'm sure he's a, or besmirch the actor. I, I, I'm sure he's a good actor. I just, it was tough performance. I did not. I thought he say Ogata. I thought he was a perfect caricature of a cartoon-esque villain. Dude, you hit the nail on the head, and that's what I didn't like about it. That's why <laughs> said, I loved you him. You said exactly he what was, I said. He was a cartoon villain. It level. was. Yeah, like, it he was, was just was a Japanese... He was in a what can I do for you? I didn't like that about it, though. I loved it, and the, it would just the the mm-hmm. arrogance of it, like he yeah, carried. Yeah. This is why I didn't even bring it up till the end because I was like, this dude probably fucking loved that shit, and I just dude, didn't. I love that. I love the Inquisitor. That's the thing that I hated the most about the movie. So I didn't hate the bad guys. I'm like they are like they're reasonable, and that's why I think like even um the. Padres, they're like, yeah, we're in a bad spot, and yeah, we fucked up. Like, they're sitting there, like, groveling like kids, and they're like, no, like, you're not in trouble, but like, you just need to like grow up, and like, you need to apostatize. You just need to do that. We need you to do that, or else we're gonna kill people. And I love. Like, I don't wanna. I love the. So I, I had I had a couple of issues with a few of the shogunate, and then I liked um I liked Mochichi 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 and um or, I'm sorry Mochichi and. I thought the performance from Kichijiro was perfect. He did exactly what he was supposed to do, which was like kind of make your skin crawl, but like in a weird way. The interpreter was good, but like, no, actually, I take that back. I didn't even kind of like, I didn't love the interpreter either. I didn't think that was a good performance. Like just, you said, I, dude, he's my favorite character. I man. know, he but was... I didn't like him. I didn't think he was a good actor. I thought that he was like kind of smug, and I know he was, he should have been. Wait, that's why I he was smug. He knew the whole religion. I know. Now you're making me sure. He was, I, I don't he was trying him. to help him. You know, know, you know who I liked. I like the. Uh, I didn't like. I like. Hmm. I didn't like that performance. I just. I, it could have been better. I just. I. Liked I, I liked the. Uh, I liked the one guy who was like the. Uh, the speaker head for. Uh, uh, for. Uh, what is it? E. Inoue or what it is or whatever he is, um, the dude who talked to the people in the beginning, where he was like, "Hey, like you guys got to do this. We'll give you three days." Because he had like he had the samurai swords, but he also oh, just that had, dude, like, a, yeah, no, that dude yeah. was fine. That dude was fine. He also he also just he had was, like a raid. He like, was, it was also just a like caricature a, in some ways, but like I I bought him. I bought. Him. I like. I like how he just had like a uh, like he had a samurai sword s thing. He's like a bokin, but it was just like a like a raid. Like you just yeah. smack people with the least. Yeah. Well, there was one scene where, like, um, anyway, it was like he. I know that there was probably a meaning for this. Like, he was like he was talking to Rodriguez after he had already apostatized, and like he began to get up. And like usually he's like he was so old that like he couldn't get up on his own. And then this one time, his like men around him tried to help. And he's him like, "Oh yeah, we'll help you." And he swats him away. Swats him in the head with the with like the fan thing, mm-hmm. and. uh I was just like, oh, come on, I don't like that choice. No, I know that there's probably a, a mature and reason, like everything Scorsese does is there's a reason for it. Well, no, it's just because the whole time, like he's being seen like as helpless and every single time he's like, eh, eh, like, help me up, like do just, it. And then the one time it doesn't go like, eh, like it's he goes, such he's a like, serious Bitch. film and it took, it took me out. 
Like I, it's such a serious film. I just wanted it to stay. I didn't want to have like an ounce of doubt in, in like in the acting. And I just, it, those couple moments. It took That's me- a, um, it's a, that it's a Japanese trope. I know it is. I know. And because it's, I didn't want head. any tropes in this film. I just wanted to. But that's. They're in Japan. No. Yeah, but that's. It's a Japanese trope, though. Like, it, and by the way, like part of the, some of the time, the characters felt like I felt like there were, it was 2016 people playing people from the 16th century. Nah, see, so you got me. That's where you lost me because I think the only person who rivals Scorsese in the time period shit is uh, Robert Eggers. He I can't think right of right there. Yeah, no. yeah, I can't think of uh, anyone else who that's is. What, but that's what I'm saying. I just like the standard. That's the, I don't lose you. I think I'm keeping you here because, like, I actually think Eggers is like he's. He's better than, than Scorsese in this way because like I hate it. Yeah, he is. He is like no, he really didn't. and like listen, I've seen Gangs of New York and I had the same fucking problem with Gangs of New York where I was just like, what is it about this that I'm just I had I had that problem in Gangs of New York more so than I had that in this. Gangs of New York, well, the only person in that film that I buy that I'm like, I'm like wholesale cloth is fucking Bill the Butcher, like Daniel Day Lewis. I'm just like that from that motherfucker, like I'm not well, that's sure not they fair. Didn't use a time machine and bring that sick bastard back from the fucking. Earth. That's not fair at all. You can put Daniel Day Lewis in anything, and he's going to be the most believable actor. Even Leo in that film was like not particularly good. So I'm just, I'm just trying to be. Listen, I can't just sit here and praise the film front to back. I had a couple of issues with it. I talked about them. Luckily, the film is so fucking good that it doesn't matter about like a couple of. Li- As I, I, I referred to this earlier when speaking about the film with my wife, I was like. I love that film so much. It's so powerful. And my issues are my issues with the film are minimal and they are, I, you can classify my issues with the film as they're either, you can classify them as either casting issues slash I call them Hollywood slash film issues. Like these are minor issues. The film is so much deeper and more important than those like problems I have with it that like, it doesn't, it doesn't take me out of the film enough to like dislike. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't uh, cast like the main characters poorly. No. Yeah. And, and Garfield's great. Garfield's fantastic. And I actually, I think his acting is um, it, it's like a, it's like a 90% there. Like he's, there's only a few moments where I'm, where I thought that he kind of slipped a little bit and I didn't like the hair. Like I, I <laughs> that really bothered me. I was like, why is his fucking hair? So like, it looks like it's freshly brought. It's, be- it's because so his hair was perfect. And it's not, I'm not saying like, oh, this is, I read this somewhere. This is exactly, but to me, it's because um, almost that's like how the Japanese depicted like a priest, like always yeah. perfect, no matter what, like right. in the image of, they right. were godly. I think it was intention- and if it's intentional, I just want to hear the reason why. Uh, in, the, um, in, in the, um, in the. In in the one scene when those guys from uh, Goto, like uh, walk all the way there, uh, when they find them outside, they're like, "We're just gonna go outside. Doesn't matter. Like, we just, I just, we need to." And then they see the hawk, and they're like, "Oh, it's a sign from God." They're just so they're in dispose, like totally, like they're on the lamb <laughs> for the heck of a better term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're on the lamb, God. Right. But um, you know, and then you see them in that moment, and they're just lounging, just like not worried about anything just looking up at the sky like borderline smiling cheesing like they're in the worst spot and then these guys see it, like is that a priest oh yeah probably they're just that chilling was, that was like your heart drops a little bit in that scene it's like oh shit 
Right. When he's like, Oh, we're being, we're being watched. But like to those guys, they just see them. They're like, that's literally, that's Jesus sin down there. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. At first you think they've been discovered and they're going to be like, um, they're going to be captured, but then. Right. But no, in their, in their mind, they just see like two figures. Yeah. Yeah. It's as, it's as close as you can get there. Like a borderline is. And if you listen to Liam Neeson's character, uh, he says that they legitimate like uh that's what they think you're being idolized like they're not they don't care about god they just care about like worldly stuff well let's um let's push ahead i mean we could go for a very long time on the film it's such an amazing film um but let's talk uh awards a little bit where where it was critically received very very well i mean and and rightly so it belongs in that conversation it was it was on the top 10 list for a lot of films in like I said, what was largely basically a good year of film, not a great year, but a very, very good year of uh, with a lot of good, very good movies. I think this thing stands alone. I personally, I got to be honest, I think it's the best film of the year. I thought it was the best film of that year. It was my favorite film of the year. And I saw a lot of these uh, 2016 films. It was my, It only got one Academy Award nomination for cinematography. I mean, I will admit, yes, the cinematography is gorgeous, but that is atrocious. I'm sorry. That's just a trick. That's the Academy. Just like, I don't think religious films can do well with the Academy anymore. Um, I think it's hard for them unless you're, unless you're doing like spotlight the year before where it's hard because spotlight came out the year before. Did you see spotlight? Mm-mm. Uh, so spotlight was uh, a film about the, um, about the, um, the Catholic church in their like uh, the controversy across like it was in Boston. It was like a, it was the Boston globe breaking the story about child abuse cases within the. Oh, Catholic. that's because it was a negative. Right. So that came out the year. So before. that's, one that's why picture. that's going to be. Right. So that one best picture one year prior, and it would have been very weird to like nominate this film in a substantial way, a very like pro Christian film. A year later, after I even say, I mean, yeah, I mean, well, who, I wouldn't say idea. it's like pro Christian. They're so fickle, man. I'm sorry, I hate the Academy Awards. I'm so done with that award program. Like where they've gone, like so, like that's the thing. Like you, you said it. Like you're not religious. Like I'm not religious either, dude. I think that this is a. It's got a great message. It's a beautiful film. It's a. It's a good. It's a. It's a good message. If you're not religious, I think it's a great message. If you are. Here's 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 the thing. It's actually a bit critical of Catholicism and Christianity. And it is the whole time. The whole the, the priests themselves. It's about the self misinterpretations of faith. It's about like you. It's about like people thinking that they have to live by the doctrine of the Bible and the Word of God, but like the spirituality and the faith within, and your doubt that you're living up to His Word is within and that you can you can so, maintain your faith while also not living up to the to the word of his of of uh, like it, a religious script like you said rodriguez is the weakest character because he believed he was in some way jesus he thought he needed to suffer as jesus suffered to prove that he was religious um but the thing is if you actually listen to the word of god he doesn't want you he says yeah live as i do but the main thing is he wants you to live um right, yeah he well, su- he suffered so you don't need to you don't have right he already did the suffering well we should I, I feel like it's a little, almost a little late to explain this but like we we didn't even actually uh verbalize this in the in the podcast and i want to now is that like the reason we know the reason that we know that errol and i have discussed at, at length here that the the faith of rodriguez which by the way uh, this is uh, if you've seen the film you actually know what we were talking about anyways because 
you've you've seen the conclusion. But the way that the film ends is a Buddhist traditional uh, ceremony for Father Rodriguez after his apostasy, and they force him to apostatize over time and time again throughout the course of the rest of his life to ensure that he has truly renounced his faith. And he does, and then lives out the rest of his days basically in silence, not speaking, um, and taking a Japanese name, taking a Japanese wife, having Japanese children, and basically just living the life of someone who would have renounced their faith. Um, and only at the end of the film do you see his wife slip into his coffin, into his hand, a um, a small makeshift crucifix. Indicating it's the one that... Uh that one guy gave him uh kichijiro right no uh the oh mokichi mokichi yeah uh, yeah, yeah. He, the one that he card card for the jispa indicating to the audience that like while he uh while his actions may have seemingly renounced his own faith he always believed within and, and his realization being that his body and his spirit is the vessel for his faith and not his actions in the real world and that he is not Christ. He cannot act as Christ. And to emulate Christ in the real world is not to act as a priest. That is not how a priest is expected to act in the eyes of God. It's about maintaining your faith within. And in sending that message to Christian followers to alleviate their doubt within, well, that's that's what spirituality and that's what Christian faith is all about. And I just think that that message, I don't even care how religious that mes- message is. That message is like to have faith in something bigger than yourself is I actually think a great psychological practice, regardless of whether or not it's entrenched in like religiosity. It's just a good, it's just a good thing to, to zoom away from, to zoom out on your own life and understand your role in, in the world and to actually have, even say you replace Christianity with just being good, just being good to other people and being good in the world. Like if what you believe is good, and, and your actions are good and like treating maybe kindness, let's say switch it out with kindness. Like you could be tempted to not be kind to people who are terrible to you or treat you poorly or society treats you poorly or the government treats you poorly, but you just, your doctrine is kindness. I'm going to be kind anyway. I'm going to be loving and kind regardless. Like having that conviction within is truly sometimes the most important thing to maintaining it and not becoming jaded and not becoming like un. In, you know, doubtful of its, of its valid, uh, of its validation or its, you know, its validity within you. And like, I just think that that message, that message doesn't belong in a society right now. Um, and especially in, in 2016, it seemed to be the same case because critics love this film and the awards refused to acknowledge it. It was not marketed well. It was not, it did not do it well in the box office. Like I said, it lost money. I just think that's a travesty because I just, I think it's just a great film. I think it's a truly great film. I think it's probably, um, I won't say it's the best film of the 2010s um, just because, uh, you know, films like Dunkirk exist and, uh, you know, there's some other ones, um, but it's in the conversation. Would you agree, Errol? Oh yeah. I think it's, um, I think it's the most important a religious movie I've ever seen. Yeah. And and that's, I think that's fair. I think that's, it's within, it's in that mix. And I, I mean, the passion of the Christ is another one. That's like, you know, it's, it's, it, if you ask me the passion, not my favorite, of the Christ, but it's, it's the passion, the, the passion of the Christ is almost pornography. Yeah. Well, 
know. If you ask me, it's almost just like it's tough. Yeah, you know the story of Jesus, but now here it is in HD. Fuck Feel it. the blood, smell the, you hear the sounds. Be, you don't even have to be religious. Like you don't have to even believe a word of that stuff. Man, it's fucking tough watch. It's very difficult to believe. Yeah, that. but that's watching someone getting tortured for two hours. That's easy to be a tough one. You, you know what I mean? Like it's. I don't think it like it doesn't like strike at the religious chords. It's just like, oh man, this dude really did suffer. That's rough. Well, this is the last thing I'll say. Well, I won't call Silence the best film of the 2010s. And, and the, I think the only reason I'm going to say that is because there is another film that came out in the 2010s that's um, of the passion of the Christ vein in this way. But I think is um, we'll talk about it when we do Wolf of Wall Street because it came out the same year. We'll also talk about it at some point when we do our list of uh, at some point, Errol and I will do a list of the best films of the 21st century. We've talked about doing that and to me, this is in my this is somewhere in the top echelon, in the top three, top four, top five. And to me, uh, the best film of the 2010s is Twelve Years a Slave. Uh, that's a, that's a that's a. I mean, you want to talk about films that are difficult to watch? I mean, it's of course that, but fucking a is. I know that people had issues with it um, because it was made by a British film, a black British filmmaker, and there were British actors in it. And the lead, the lead actor is British. He's not African American. I know he wasn't people. a slave. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> 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 exactly. You nailed. It. I mean, it's. God forbid, I know that it's very, it's very, you know, not okay for people to. They had to track someone to down act. from, Al- track <laughs> someone down to. from Alabama. It was like literally that dude's like great, great, great grandson. Here he is in the flesh. And the woman, uh, the, the, uh, the actress who won best picture, uh, best supporting actress in the film, Lupita Amandi uh, Nyangong is, uh, she's fucking Mexican and Kenyan. Like she, but she won the Oscar and like, Nobody's given her any grief because she, I mean, she's, a, I think she's American. I think she's like been American. I, don't, I mean, she's, she's from Mexico and she, she's Kenyan. She's not, her nationality or her like actual nationality is, is Mexican only because she's like, that's where she was born. But like, she's Kenyan. Her parents are Kenyan. Um, but like, that also doesn't mean that she's, a, she's not African American, but nobody gave her any grief about it and they shouldn't have. Uh, because like it's a film and the film has a very very important message i think it's one of the best films ever made that, that film is it is so true and honest and graphic and and vicious and and it should be and you know uh, we'll, we'll talk about that one one day too i mean good lord but um in terms of films uh silence is in there that's in the mix it's it's a great film um errol what do they say Let, let's take a break uh we've given our thoughts on the film uh, actually, no, we won't even take a break. Let's dive right into it. Let's let's give our rating. Um, wrap it up. Yeah, let's let's wrap it right up. We've done a good job of Karobu. Yeah, let's, you're gonna let's, give up. Let's let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I renounce. <laughs> <laughs> I renounce the podcast. Yes, there's just a there's just a, a <laughs> there's just a picture of like my face and your face next to each other. On a yeah, step, step on it. <laughs> oh, one one thing. Speaking of stepping on it, before we uh, uh Karobu this whole thing, sure. I love the scene where be uh where they get everyone like uh the Jisama and they have everyone step on the uh on the thing, whatever it's called, the uh, uh, uh something each. I can't remember. No. Uh, 
whatever the the picture of Jesus. Yeah, the they're like <laughs> they're like walking in mud, like just a tr- like slop, and then everyone who steps on it, yeah, they they all step on the fumi, and like they're walking in like slop, like it's really dirty, right. and like that thing, it's clean. Yeah, every time they step on it, yeah, well, true. That's the so three weird. the three people that step on it, in the mud never is just clean. Never a trace of mud behind. Right, I was like, dude, that's like an act of God in itself. Like, if I didn't I believe, like, literally, they walk in, like, whack, 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 how step feel, on how it. How he managed to film that? I don't know how. Or... They had to wipe it, dude. They had to, and they'd be like, "Look, it's clean." Maybe they filmed it in reverse. No, I'm pretty sure he just they just cleaned it. Um, but yeah, they they all slopped through and stepped on it. It's just nothing. Incredible. Um... Incredible filmmaking. That is a that is a nice little touch in, the, in those scenes. Which are but great. would you die for? Wait, that? wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Before we go anywhere, I did want to talk about the 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 when he apostat when Father Rodriguez apostatized. Right. That mm-hmm. scene. Uh, man, I, I I can't believe we're skipping over that. I don't want to skip over that scene. That scene is so fucking powerful because of the a very obvious trope of like um, the voice of Jesus telling him to apostatize and telling him to step on the on the stone. And the very obvious um, silence in, of the of the scene, where all the all the right, where it's just like there's not even like the uh, the crickets. But that's the thing too; like he's asking to hear God, and he hears God like twice in the whole movie. Like he hears him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he hear well. He he hears the voice the voice of Jesus. Like, and that that that's a moment where you know it it is. I remember seeing that the first time I heard the voice, it like sent like a shiver down my spine. I don't know who did the voice. Sounds like Liam Neeson. I actually think it was um just I thought I read it, but I want to make sure before I say it. Oh yeah, it was. It was the guy at the beginning who plays Alessandro Balagnano. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it was the the guy, the 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 Jesuit at the beginning who sends them all sends them right. all. He he actually did the voice, but man, when he speaks like and you know it's Jesus speaking to him because of like how just like intense the moment is. It's it's just amazing. It's such an amazing um scene when he does apostatize because it is actually the moment when he hears his voice it's so hard for him to truly apostatize in that moment but that, and that's and not. like like i was saying he told everyone to do that the whole time but then when it came for him to do it he's like i don't know what to do but then it was like just do it and then he still felt bad but then that's when he like you said in ignoring the religion that's where he becomes the most religious he actually he gets to answer the call the reason why he was there incredible all right let's move into the ratings let's talk about the rating of the film uh out of 10 we're doing it arrow fuck man I, I haven't even really thought about it um so this is gonna be off the cuff for me um arrow kick us off what's your rating out of 10 for the film yeah no i, I thought about it i give it a uh, I give it a nine that's a nine out of ten for you my friend I, I i i think that's that's perfect i mean that's a perfect rating um i'm gonna jot you down here because we're keeping track of this stuff, by the way, like I said, folks, um, we're going to have our ratings listed on our website. So so please check in with us after each episode when we do a film or we do a um, an album. Um, we're going to have a, like a list of our ratings that we can get an idea of what we think about stuff, um, even outside of listening. Um, I did have some issues with the film, um, like I like I mentioned, but God, I do. I do love the film and I think it's 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 powerful in a way that like. Man, if I really wanted to suggest a film to for someone to try to go to deeply go into a film, like if somebody was telling me, you know, I'm really looking to like 
I want to watch something that's just going to like make me think and make me consider things I haven't considered before. Um, this would be such a great starting place. Um, I can't give it a perfect score. Um, I, I thought about my rating system about like, there's really no such thing as a perfect film and a perfect film doesn't have to get it. You know, it doesn't have to truly be perfect to get a 10 out of 10. And I know Errol and I have been giving some high, high scores throughout the course of this uh, podcast, but that's honestly just more of, more of a result from us just selecting great films. We're just, uh, those are the films we want to talk about. Usually. Great yeah. A 10, a, a 10 for me is not like a 10 for everyone. A 10 for me is a definitely a 10 for me. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. And like, well, I think the lighthouse was our first uh, 10 out of 10 for films. Um, I, I think, right. Is that true? I'll go to the website and we'll find out. Yeah. Um, we both gave the lighthouse a 10 out of 10. Um, for me, I'm going to, I'm going to go with arrow on this. I actually, I think, I think I'm with you. I think, I think I'm also going to give it a nine out of 10. Um, it's a nine out of 10 only because I think that it, it does. I told my wife this, and I think this is just the truth about the film. Um, when, by the way, great trailer, fucking amazing trailer. Um, really, really good trailer. <laughs> I remember when it came out I, when it was released. Um, I was like, I could not wait for the film. And um, I think because it's, there's something, so I grew up uh, somewhat Christian. Uh, I grew, grew up going to church. I've been confirmed, like all the stuff. Um, and I have actually am of Portuguese descent. My my uh, grandparents were, one of my, my grandfather was uh, Portuguese. He was like almost full-blooded Portuguese and his parents were both Portuguese. Um the film and like and I, and I'm also Italian, so like Scorsese's like Italian background and it's like I, there's just a personalized aspect of the film that really speaks to me. I think that I was really hoping that this was going to be like my all-time favorite film. I think I had that expectation going into it, and it didn't quite live up to that in the ways that I thought it would. It gave me a different experience and it gave me different things to talk about and think about. Um, and, but I did have a few issues with the film that I've discussed here. Um, I still think it's a great film. I still think it's probably one of the best films of the last 15 years, um, for sure. Um, so for that, I'll give it a 9 out of 10. Um, and uh, after a few more viewings, who knows? Maybe I'll raise my rating. But at this point, I, I think a 9 out of 10 is a fair rating. So, Errol, we're aligned on that. Oh, yeah. No, my, uh, my grandma's, like, really religious, and I um... – I, I don't think I would like show like the lighthouse or like be like, Hey, you guys should watch this. It's like my favorite movie, but like, this is a movie. I'd be like, yo, Graham. Yeah. I want to share this with people. Don't you? Like, I feel that way too. I just like, I really feel like I want to share this with people. Like I want to share this film with people in a way. I that, think like, it's, it's I, th I think it's, um I think it's important. I don't think it's like the most important like thing ever, but I think uh, if you like any, if you are, if you have any affinity for any kind of religion, like whether you are like a devout Christian or if you just like theology, then this is a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's for you. And it's, it's, it's weighty. It's a very, weighty. I would dude, even if you're like a stark atheist, it's all it tell. Oh, there's so much... something for you too. Cause if you're, you're going to be like, a... yeah, the, you're like, they're, they're the Japanese are right. Yeah. If you're just, yeah, that's what I mean. Is like, you can be secularist. It, it, there's, there's so much to, uh, to love about the film. It's there's, and, and whatever it's, it's, it can be lauded for to the cows come home. It's a great film. That that's the end of the story. It's a great film. It's a mature film and it, 
it handles the content of the novel in great care. I, I, I hope to read the novel one day. Um, it's beautiful too. Like visually, visually, I think, I think the film is actually better visually than um, uh, dialectically. Like, like the writing of the film isn't um, as good as it looks, which is crazy. When I, when I say, when I say like the place is like almost looks like purgatory, like in that there's also like, there's, they show like purgatory and then they show heaven and then they like show hell. Like when they are in a, when they're uh, like at a, I'm pretty sure they're like at the Vatican um, in the beginning. Like they are. No, they're, they're in Portugal. Oh yeah. Sorry. When they're, when they're in Portugal, like they are like on a mountain. It's almost like a, like a Mount Olympus esque. Like there's like the clouds are there. Like it's beautiful. And then like the first time they showed Japan, it's just the, the, the hot springs. Like it's, um, you could definitely see like the dichotomies between the two were like, uh, actually I take that back. It's, it says here that they're actually at St. Paul's college in actually Southern China. So their, their journey is not as far as I, as we thought it's in the South China sea that they start. Um, oh. there's just a missionary there or a, uh, a college, a, a Christian college in, uh, Macau. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then, um, so when they're traveling there, like the, they're like in the sea, that kind of looks like they have the clouds there. That looks like, you know, heaven-esque, but, um, when they're traveling between islands, when they, when, uh, he's initially heading to, uh, Goto looks like, uh, the river sticks. It's just gray. Yeah. And then like the, uh, the ferryman, they're not saying anything. And then once they get to the island, the souls of the dam just like jump on the side of the yeah, ship. Yeah, that's they perfect. Just, it is too. Yeah. It's like they're. It's like they're, I'm telling you. It's like they. It's almost like they already died. Like, or at least if they didn't die, like religion has already died. Like they're they are like. Or it's, 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 it's like it's a representation of the last gasps of it. Like right, like they are. It's as close to hell on earth as a Christian can get. All right. Well. Listen, that's silence. Um, thank you, folks, for listening. We do have a new episode coming. Um, this will be released uh, in a couple of days. Uh, by the time you guys hear it, this will be released on Monday, September uh, September 18th. So that being said, our next episode, we're going to try to pump that out within the next week, maybe a little longer. We'll see how things go. But in the next, probably within the next uh, seven to 10 days or so, our next episode, it's going to be our fourth installment of the biography series and that's going to be on the we're going to stay in the far east we're going to stay out there um, in japan specifically japanese author and literate um uh, literature figure yukio mishima we're going to talk about his backstory his political influence cultural influence his literature influence there's a lot going on with that story um story of his life we're going to unpack that thing and stay within the confines of japan it's uh japan heavy in the uh, return for the uh, peripheral views podcast. So Errol, I'm just going to hit a few housekeeping points on the way out. So folks know where to find us uh, all our content. We're going to try to be a little more active on Twitter slash X. So if you're looking to keep up with us on there, peripheral V one, two, three, that's where to check us out there. Our YouTube channel, just throw us in the search bar peripheral views podcast. Our content will be posted on there henceforth each episode. Uh, so if you are in the uh, YouTube space, that's a good place to find our audio. Um, we've done at this point, this is our 12th episode of the peripheral views podcast. We intend to keep going in each of these series. We've got a big project that we're working on right now. We're going to announce that after the next episode on what we're working on there. 
Um, the website is up and running. Check us out, Peripheral Views, Peripheral Views Podcast forward slash home. Uh, check that out. That's our website. It's got all our content there. It's got contact information. Um, that thing's going to continuously get worked on and updated along the way with new content, new announcements, this and that. Please feel free to check us out on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And if you do, please subscribe. Hit us with the rating. Hit us with the review. Helps us tremendously. Keeps us on on point. Keeps us moving ahead. Um, and we appreciate any listenership that we've uh, acquired so far. We hope you guys stick with us. We're going to keep pushing through. We we love talking film. We love talking music. We love talking books. We love talking things like films like this give us which is uh, an opportunity to discuss deeper, deeper topics and deeper discussions such as faith and religion and spirituality. This stuff is interesting to us as well. And we, we won't hold back. We're going to, we're going to keep down that path. We've got a lot of interesting stuff to, to unpack as the uh, podcast unfolds. So uh, those are the places to hit us. Errol, you got any closing notes you'd like to add before we close this thing up? No, no, I'm a, that's about everything I had. It's okay. a, a good movie. Great cast. Um, I uh, I give it two thumbs up. Yeah, give it a viewing, and uh, if if you uh, if you like the uh, what you see from the film, I I I love to do this with films. I like to watch the film and then listen to the podcast, listen to a podcast about it. So maybe that's the method. If you see that we've uh, if you're following us and you see we did uh, done a podcast on a on a film, go watch the film and then give us a listen after the fact and um, see if you agree with what agree with what we have to say. Maybe we offer a little bit of insight, um, on something you weren't considering while watching the film. So, uh, check it out. Silence by Martin Scorsese, an absolute classic. Thank you so much folks for listening to peripheral view pod, peripheral views podcast. We'll be back in a matter of a week or so with Yuki Oshima, uh, Mishima, um, should be out probably in the next week. We appreciate all the support and we will see you next time on the peripheral views podcast. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon. Keep on trampling. That's, that's, that's just it.